How's everyone feeling today? Not too bad? That's good. That's good. Um, what I was going to do today, just to firstly just get us to start start off, and uh, is to describe some of the features, I suppose you could say, of progression, progression spiritually and emotionally on the divine love path for you. And then once we've got into that discussion, you'll probably have a lot of questions about yesterday's presentation that I'd like to answer as well. So hopefully that'll be the uh, run of the mill today. We'll just answer a lot of your questions. The reason why I wanted to firstly present the differences between the divine love path and lots of other paths is so that you can get a bit of a flavour inside of yourself about how it encompasses all of your life. You can't just do little bits and pieces of things when it comes to God. God expects, and you could say God has designed her universe in such a way that if you want to come to her, there is only one way to do it. And this one way encompasses all areas of your life. There's not a single area of your life that will not be touched by progression using the, on the divine love path. And so what I'd like to do is describe some of the different areas of that of your life that are going to be affected and describe some of the different areas that we can see a lot of the other paths don't incorporate. And the reason why is because on the earth today we have a lot of spiritual paths, literally millions really, of spiritual paths, and many of them incorporate aspects of different parts of what God actually designed the universe to be. So all of them have bits and pieces of truth, if you like. And the difference between the divine love path and all of these other paths is the divine love path of progression has the absolute truth. And the absolute truth, of course, is going to incorporate all of these little bits of truth. So you'll notice, oh, that's very similar to the Buddhist path there, and that's very similar to the Hindu way of doing things, and that's very similar to the Muslim way of doing things, that's very similar to the Christian way of doing things, that's very similar to the New Age things that we've learned. But all, all of it is incorporated, but not, not all of the factors of those different paths are incorporated, only the truths of those paths are incorporated, if that makes sense. So what you finish up getting is this whole life experience that is incorporated and, got, and your connection with God will change your entire life completely. It actually not only changes your life, but it actually physically changes your, your, your soul and your spirit body and your material body. So, for example, on all the natural love paths, they often talk about the seven chakras, for example, right? And in terms of keeping all of these chakras open and progressing that way, on the divine love path, there is actually more chakras that your body starts to develop. And after a while, once you become at one with God, I think there's 13 chakras once you become at one with God, not seven anymore. And so your, even your spirit body changes. And so, um, and while I haven't remembered everything about how it all changes and everything because of my own emotional suppression about my own fears that I'm working my way through now, the reality is that uh, the, physical, the physical body changes. What, what will happen on the divine love path is your physical body will start releasing its ailments. Right? And you'll get to the point where you have no ailments. No sickness, no disease at all. But when you're going through different emotions, those ailments will flare up until you've released them. And so you get this cycle of things going on even with your body, your physical body, where your physical body makes adjustments and changes. 
So my body has made huge changes um, over the five or six years that I've been really focused on doing everything again. And the body has just changed immensely. You also have, you will also find yourself that in the first entry I said the eyes are the window into the soul. And you, when you look in a mirror, any of you done iridology? Yeah? Got a few? So when you look into a mirror, you'll notice these blemishes and specks in your eyes all the way around the iris and, and in the coloured section. And you will notice even that clears up. You'll notice all of that, which is a reflection of what's clearing up in your body. So what happens is even your eyes become very, very clear and the more clear they become, the more you know you're releasing emotional injuries as well. And eventually they become so clear that if you take a photo of it, it's just all one colour without blemishes at all. And when you become at one with God, there is no blemishes at, at all in the iris of your eye, for example. You know how most of you have done some reflexology at some point? They had a you know, foot, foot, foot reflexology. The same applies there. You know that there's these pressure points, right, that you can press and it can release or connect to different parts of your body and release different emotions if you allow that to occur. Well, on the divine love path, you'll get to the point where there's no sensitive places on your feet at all. Right? Where there's no, where you can press any pressure point and nothing, nothing hurts. How many of you have done their deep tissue, deep tissue massage, for example? Yeah, quite a few. With deep tissue massages, the idea is to get right, right deep into, and it can be quite painful when you're getting it done, can't it? And, and if you allow your emotions to rise, you'll be crying or whatever. I remember the first time I came out, there was this lady in Dallas who did uh, my first three and a half hour session she gave me of deep tissue massage, and I just screamed and cried the entire session. And when I came out, my whole body was black and blue with bruises. My whole body. And uh, it took a week before those bruises disappeared. Now, if she had done the same, in the last session I did with her, she did the same things and and the first half of the session was really incredible because I was still in this terrible pain with different parts of my body and then all of a sudden I went through this barrier of fear and then I came out and what she, she was still doing the deep tissue stuff and it felt pleasurable. And I couldn't believe it all of a sudden, just by something clicking inside of me about fear and all of a sudden now my body responded differently to what she was doing. And it was just a state that I was temporarily in at that point. But it helped me also understand how you can be in that state and there's memories that I have of being in that state obviously from the first century and it helped me just connect with those memories of being in that state in a permanent way where there is no fear in your body. Now on the Divine Love Path it incorporates that as well. So, so if you can think of almost every single thing you've done, spiritual practice, physical body repair, health, and all these other things of, uh, uh, that affect your life, and then if you look at all the spiritual side and the moral side as well and all the things you may have done there, what happens in the end is the Divine Love Path incorporates all of these, in certain, all of these things in certain ways, as you would expect if it was connected to God, when you think about it, because obviously if we're connected to God, then we're going to learn the truth about our soul, our spirit body and our material body. And not just guessing about it, we will come to know the truth about it, how it actually works in every single way. And in the first century I said the words, if you follow, if you, if you long for divine love, if you long for God's love, if you long for a connection with God, 
all these other things that you're seeking will be added to you. And what I meant was, your health will be added to you. Your eyesight will repair itself and be added to you. And all these other things will be added to you. So, so eventually what will happen is these things will disappear as you progress on the path. And then all of the ailments of the body will disappear. If you have any body distortions because of emotions due to your growing up, they will disappear. So some of you might grow a few inches taller, for example, right? because of the different things that occur in the body as a result. And because in the end, all of these things are all affected by the emotions that the soul is storing. So on the divine love path, you could think of God's way, so we'll just... Uh, has a lot of different facets that we could start looking at. Um, for example, on God's path, one of the major facets is that we're going to look, have to look at absolute truth. So we have to get away from this concept that my truth is paramount. So on the, on the very many natural love ways, and particularly in the New Age movement today, this is very prevalent, there's this constant viewpoint that my truth is the most important thing. As long as I stay in my truth, everything else will work. Now, there is a truth to that concept. And the truth is that if you stay in your truth, you are being more, having more integrity. And integrity is a very, very important part of your progression. But just because you're staying in your truth, it doesn't mean that your truth is God's truth about a certain issue. So, for example, I may believe with all of my heart and all of my intellect that if I go to war, I can go to war under certain circumstances. So the circumstance might be if I'm being attacked. I can go to, I've decided inside of myself emotionally that I can go to war if I'm being attacked and I can defend myself. So I have this viewpoint inside of myself and I feel it's a truth and I'm allowed to defend myself when I'm being attacked. Well, on the divine love path, when you connect with God, you come to realize that that's not a truth anymore. If you defend yourself, you are actually breaking some laws of love. Now, most of us, when we first hear that, we go, oh, but what about this situation? What about that situation? What about, you know, and we start listing these kind of situations where we feel impelled to defend ourselves, but that's our truth. We feel that we couldn't defend ourselves, but, on, but if you want to become at one with God, you will get to a point where you never defend yourself again from attack. You may leave a place, but you'll never defend yourself. That's why in the first century I said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, just turn the other cheek, right? Implying that they may slap you again, actually, and you wouldn't defend yourself from that. And people go, well, what about self-love then? What about self-love? Well, there's a whole aspect of self-love where self-love doesn't compromise love of the other. So if I, if you slap me, you're not being loving to me. I agree. But if I slap you, am I being loving to you in return? No. Now, if I love myself, I won't compromise love for you. And so there's a big principle there that I've got to actually come to apply on the divine love path. Does that make any sense? And that's the principle of coming to see God's truth about every single little 
situation, event and everything in my life. Now the way I do that is once I release the emotional reason inside of myself, firstly, that causes me to attract you slapping me, then I'm going to get a slapped a lot less. <laughs> That's number one. Secondly, once once I do that, somebody still might come up and slap me. But when they slap me, I don't feel any more physical pain from the experience aside from just the initial pain. There's no other pain because there's no fear associated with the event. That's number two. And thirdly, there's no emotional rage that rises in me saying, what have you done to me? Because I love myself completely and so therefore I don't have any response of rage in return to the other person. So that's number three. And can you see by the time I start applying, and I've only listed three of the principles involved in that interaction, by the time I start applying the principles that I feel inside of myself emotionally once I'm connected with God, I am not going to respond in defence to anyone and I am going to be perfectly happy within myself about that. I won't feel the need. So let's apply that to a relationship. I go into the relationship. The person yells and screams at me, which is a an attacking emotion that I'm getting from them, right? I'm on the receiving end. If I've developed in these areas, I won't feel that even as an attack. Now, I'm not saying that I'm intellectually jumping over all of this because the truth is that you can zen out and jump over a lot of things that happen to you. The whole Buddhist path, for example, is a, is about that, the path of meditation Connection with self, disconnection from desire, disconnection from, uh, a lot of times, disconnection from a, your own emotional response. And what happens there is you can zen out for what people go to you. You can explain it. You can reframe it in your mind and make the emotion go away. I'm not suggesting to do that. What I'm suggesting is don't reframe anything in your mind. Feel the emotion fully and the emotion will go away and it will never return. You'll never have to do that again. So what's another aspect of the, the God's way is regard to emotions. Emotions need to be fully experienced in order to be released. Now, a lot of different paths on, on the planet talk about emotions, don't they? So they talk about emotions. So you've, many of you heard of EFT, for example, emotional freedom technique. Yeah. Okay. So this is where you do the tapping thing in different parts. There's different pressure points of your body. If you're an acupuncturist or something like that, you would know many the many hundreds of pressure points in the body, many hundred points where you can release certain things, and you can actually tap certain places in your body and cause yourself to actually get out of the emotional response. Right. Now, while that may look very attractive as a means to actually deal with certain emotions, um, firstly, do you think a celestial spirit goes around tapping their body to deal with a certain thing? Well, no, they don't. Right? What they do is they fully experience their emotions and because they've fully experienced all emotion, all the negative emotion in their body that created the initial response is gone and because that's gone, there's no need to tap anything anymore. Can you see the difference? So when I fully experience and release an emotion, I do not any longer have a need to do something to my body to skip over that emotion, to actually even to access an emotion, because that is all released. So emotions is a very important part. Now, many of you would have heard of um, 
what, what are there? There's Brandon Bay's stuff, um, journey work. There's um, the EFT type thing. There's there's lots of different emotional, you know, emotional intelligence work that a lot of people do as well. And this, like, I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds of different things, particularly coming out recently. The reason why these things are coming out recently is because there's a whole group of spirits now cottoning on to the idea that you do need to release emotions. And if you can do that on the earth before you pass, it's going to leave you very, very free once you get into the spirit world because you'll have a lot of emotions released. The issue, though, is that we're not often still allowing the emotional experience of these emotions. So, with emotions, we become childlike. Another word is a child that you take it to a supermarket, doesn't get its own way, anger comes up, big tantrum on the floor, doesn't care who it's easy, you know, just, eh, you know, away it goes and, and, and that's what a child does. Now, I'm not suggesting you crack a tantrum every time you don't get your own way. Because cracking a tantrum is actually an emotional injury. Does that make sense? Of not getting your own way that you need to work through. Why don't you want to get the own way? You need to connect to that emotion. But, the child doesn't have to think about it. If You know, I don't know if you've ever tried it, because most people don't try it in the supermarket. And the child's there kicking and screaming on the floor, you know, cracking the tantrum. Or in the, you know, a lot of times you see it in the trolley. You know, they're sitting in the trolley, like trying to reach for the lollies, right? And and like a lot of parents just quickly go past the lolly aisle, you know, or don't even, you know, look up to the signs, note lolly aisle, we bypass that and we walk down it later sort of thing which is an avoidance of the child's emotion. But if we go down the lolly on the child starts screaming, if you allow the child to scream and scream and scream, and this is why it isn't often done nowadays, because everybody starts looking at you and judging you and what are they doing, what are they doing, strangling that child or something, and so they don't do that. But if you allow the child to scream and scream, the child will go through a period where they go into this anger, rage, not getting my own way, which is the emotional injury. They're experiencing the effects of the emotional injury that they hold within them. Then they go into this place of crying in a deep, really um, sobbing way. And once they get in there, they're now, they're now processing the emotional injury that actually created their need to demand things from you. And they might stay in that place. The screaming might take an hour, so this way isn't usually done in the shopping centre. And the crying might take 20 minutes or so. But afterwards, you'll find the child will just have released that emotion completely and you won't even notice them demanding anything from you anymore. Right? Now, we've actually tried that. Mike's been with me in a car trying that with a young fellow that we both know, Mike's stepson. And... Uh, and it took him uh, just a bit over two and a half hours, there were six people in the car, it took him a bit over two and a half hours to do the tantrum thing first. But everyone in the car, we were driving from uh, Miami to Cape Canaveral, everyone in the car had to put up two and a half hours of screaming and deal with their own emotions about that, which was very interesting in itself. And in the first part, he was screaming, yelling, cursing everybody, swearing, you know, not swearing because he doesn't know the words yet, but, but just, attack, you know, saying that I'm terrible, I hate you, I hate you, and then saying to his mummy, I hate you, mummy, and he just went on and on and on. And as each person dealt with their emotions, he eventually got into the core emotion and processed that core emotion. And straight after that, he was amazingly loving, right? 
In fact, when he was bought some strawberries, he shared them all with everyone in the car and all this, all this automatically happened. And this is the thing that we often do ourselves is we don't allow even our child to experience that. So we therefore are never going to allow ourselves to experience that. Right? And yet, it, when you hit the spirit world, this is the experience you're going to have if you want to be on the divine love path. You're going to need to connect with every single causal emotion inside of yourself and release it. So, the idea is to start doing that now. Now, there are many paths of spiritual progression on the earth that are already saying that to you, that are already saying you need to do with your emotional work. So that is one facet of getting to God, doing this emotional work. Then there's another facet. This is a facet that's not often considered, particularly on earth. In the spirit world, it's something that's known very, very well, but here on earth, we have a tendency to skip over. Although, if you look in every single spiritual path on earth that talks about God, generally there's a whole lot of you must, you must not list of things you t to do. Does that make sense? So you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you know, and so on and forth. And, you know, we often refer to them, if we come from a Christian background, as the Ten Commandments, you know. I practice the, you know, I've quite often heard from people, I practice the Ten Commandments. That's all I need to do in my interactions with others. And that is a part of coming to God, to be frank. Practicing morals. But God's perspective on morals and our perspective on morals are very, very different. Our perspective on morals is as long as we act moral, then it means we are moral. Most of the time that's what we believe. Right? So as long as I don't murder, I'm fine. That means that I'm free of that murderous emotion, if you like. No, it doesn't, actually. How many times do you think once you get into a rage you feel like throttling someone and how many times do you feel like actually murdering them even? Like, And the only reason why you don't is they're not there in front of you, number one. Number two, that there's no weapon to do it with. Or, or number three, that you just know that if you do that, you'll get put in jail yourself or you'll get condemned yourself, number four. So, so, you know, as we go through the different reasons why, we start seeing actually that we do have murderous emotions inside of ourselves that we just don't act upon, right? With God's view of morals, the murderous emotion is what needs to be released, so instead of having a list of you must nots that I actually do, there is actually, from God's perspective, you could say some you must nots that you have to actually feel, not just not do. You have to actually feel them. So in other words, when I notice inside of myself that I have a murderous emotion towards somebody, on God's path, I need to look at the underlying emotional reason why I have this emotion and I need to get to that emotion and release it before I can progress. Now, you think about it. If I have had somebody hurt me and hurt me a lot in my past, getting to those kind of emotions is a pretty like difficult process, but it is something that is essential on the divine love path. Right, so there's this morals effort. We remember yesterday in our discussion, uh, we were raised about the morals of a lot of spiritual paths being very 
like focused on free sexuality. And that's one area that, that on God's path, you won't, you'll have to deal with those emotions, whatever is going on there. Right? God designed you to be completely sexual, but within a framework of love inside of yourself. Which brings us to this other part, the sexual part of your life. Now, on the divine love path, eventually you will come into a complete and permanent sexual union with your soulmate. What that means is that there will be permanent sexual feelings flowing back and forward between you. And when you're in the soul union state, that is like an orgasmic feeling 24 by 7, if you like. So you will have this complete sexual union happening all the time in your life. Now, to get to that place means working your way through intergender emotional injuries about the opposite sex and about how you feel about your own body and your own sexuality. Now, for many of us, that's like a minefield, isn't it? Like you look back at the different relationships you've had and the hurt you got from this person or the hurt you got from that person or you look at the, you know, how your mum and dad think about things. There are many gay men or women who are not even ready to even tell their mum and dad, let alone somebody else, that they're gay. Or in fact, they find it probably easier to tell somebody else other than their mum and dad that they're gay because there's a lot of judgment and a lot of criticism about sexuality. There's a lot of shame. We're going to have to work through all of those emotions on the divine love path. And to be frank with you, it's quite like enjoyable to work through them because every emotion you release causes you to be more connected with yourself, more connected to your own desires and more connected to later on if you're not if you're single, later on in a partnership, more connected to your partner. But we have so many intergender injuries and we have them multi-generationally, you know? Each generation has this really deep deep issues with regard to sexuality. And would someone just like to open the door there for that lady who wants to get in? Thank you. They're both locked, are they? Yeah. Yeah. No worries. All right, so can you see that if I'm wanting to progress on the divine love path, this is an area of my life that I'm going to have to heal. Because God created you as a sexual being. So a lot of people have this viewpoint of spirituality that it's not holy to be sexual. But you think about what people say about my life in the first century. What do they basically say? That I was a virgin all my life. Right? Not true. Like, I was a virgin till I met my soulmate and then we made love. Right? So, What happens is that on this divine path you will need to heal these particular issues within yourself, heal these particular sets of injuries. Now, we can't just skip over them. We're not going to be able to skip over our sexual injuries. When I say skip over them, you know, one way we skip over them is we find a nice man or a nice woman who doesn't trigger us too much. And then what we do, you know, for example, if I'm a lady who only wants to have sex once a month, right? Now, now compare that to 24 by 7 orgasm, 
Like, you can see where you're headed, 24 by 7 orgasm, and you only want to have sex once a month. Right? So there's some injuries in there. Does that make sense? That need to be dealt with in between that gap, right? Now, now, if I'm in that state, I'll be very, very tempted to find a man who feels that sex is unholy or something like that, that, that sex is a bad thing, and I will connect with him because he feels nice and safe and secure and he feels like he's got everything together sexually, you know, he loves my soul, he doesn't just love my body, all that kind of thing going on. In other words, he's working around my emotional sexual injuries. And so it feels good. I can have a safe relationship with a man. We have a wonderful relationship. We have a wonderful partnership. And my question would be, yes, but are you headed for 24 by 7 orgasm? Is that what you're headed for? But if that's not what you're headed for, then and you don't want to get there, then look at the emotional injuries. There's something going on. You see, on the path to God, you're going to have to look at those emotional injuries, whatever those are. Now, then on the other side of the, that sexual coin, if we could call it, a lot of men have the injury that it doesn't really matter what partner they have sex with, you know. They, uh, as long as they have sex, everything's fine. Right? Well, that's another set of emotional injuries. So they think 24 by 7 orgasm sounds pretty good, right? But the problem is they don't care who it's with, right? And there are a lot of moral sexual injuries involved with that that they'll need to work their way through because actually God designed you to have a sexual relationship with one person in the end. That would be this 24 by 7 relationship, if you like. And it's an incredible state to be in. But... It takes work, working through different emotional injuries. So you can see morals, emotions start tying into the sexual side of our life and we start needing to deal with different things. Then there's this whole other area that we have called free will. Remember I said yesterday that on the divine love path, the secret, one of the secrets of the universe is God designed you to have free will. That means God designed your partner to have free will too, by the way. Not just you, you know. And so, so what that means is that I will actually honour the free will of my partner. Now, what if my partner decides she wants to have sex through one of her injuries with someone else? Well, I'm going to honour the free will of my partner. Now, that's pretty challenging, isn't it, in that situation to do that? That would be very challenging. What if my partner even just wants to do something like, I want to go sailing, I'd love her to come along, but she doesn't want to go sailing, she wants to knit for the day, whether that is the case or not. <laughs> She's allowed to do that and I'm allowed to do what I want to do. And I need to deal with my emotions about that in the partnership. What happens if, uh, if I have a lot of desires in terms of, and again, again, by the way, this also means, this free will thing means, even if the other partner's desires are in disharmony with love, I need to allow them to take those actions. Now, I'm not saying that I have to stay around while they do it. Right? I'm just saying that my love of free will would enable my partner. So, my partner does things for me automatically, like maybe every night she makes me a meal. After the third night, I'm starting to feel to myself, well, is this really what she wants to do every night? 
You know, if I love my partner and I love this aspect of free will, I have to start asking myself that question. Is she really exercising her free will or does she think that's her role? Because role isn't free will anymore, is it? As soon as I put myself in a box and create a role, I am now not got the freedom of expression. Right? So I'd have to ask myself, am I enabling my partner's free will? Yes, we both need to eat, but what's stopping me from cooking tonight? Aside from the fact that maybe I can't cook very well and might need a few lessons. Right? Can you see how we need to work our way through those issues on the divine love path as well? Then we've got issues of what you would call natural love. Remember we said yesterday that the divine love path incorporates natural love. So we've got issues of, all right, how am I practicing love in my life? Is it loving for me to yell at my children, no matter what they've done? What do you feel? See, most of us feel, when we feel about it, we feel, no, no, that's not loving. But when, when we're in the situation, you know, where your child is so frustrating and annoying and just keeps badgering you, you know, in the situation, it's totally different, isn't it? You get in the situation and before you know it, you're smacking a child and, you know, you just broke one of your own personal rules, you know, of, uh, of, of violence towards another person. So on the divine love path, we would have to incorporate these principles of natural love in our life. And that in itself is going to be quite challenging. Can you see? Quite challenging to do that. But what is a loving thing to do? Now, natural love also has this aspect of natural love towards your environment. So I would start have to, having to look at all sorts of issues inside of myself with regard to the environment. With regard to the environment, I'd have to say, say to myself, um, how do I feel about the animals? How do I feel about the birds? How do I feel about the fish? And I say, oh, I just love the animals. You know my dog? I just love my dog and my cat. I just love my cat. Okay, well then, why is there meat sitting on your table if you love animals so much? There's a whole different area there to work your way through with regard to natural love on the divine love path. Because if you loved creatures so much, do you think you'd kill them to put them on your table? And and if you really took personal responsibility, which is the next thing I'd like to raise on the path, if you really took personal responsibility, you would actually have to kill that animal. So if any of you try doing that, just slitting the throat, skinning it, gutting it, but for most of us, we'd be totally, our stomach would be churning if we, for most of us. And to be frank, I don't know if you've ever gone along to an abattoir's, but what a, I've been to a number, and the men in there are so detuned because I've had to detune themselves from the whole process. And they are so detuned from anything to do with flesh and, and pain and a lot of other things too. So on the divine love path, we need now to start taking personal responsibility for the actions that we get other people to do for us because we don't want to do it for ourselves. 
So I need to start taking personal responsibility for the fact that I want this meat on my plate. Can you see? A personal responsibility issue there. I need to take personal responsibility for the fact that I want a great big house and two cars in the garage and, and all of these other things which actually have a big impact on the environment. I need to start taking some personal responsibility. I need to even take personal responsibility for the things I eat. The things that I eat that are disharmonious with love. Because there are things you can eat that are disharmonious with love, by the way. Animals, of course, is one of them. You know, because you've got to kill it to eat it. And uh, it's a living creature. And you'll start feeling your emotions about all that. Remember, the emotions are going to be incorporated into all of this. Can you see now we're starting to, there's all these different ways, you, 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 can, you can sort of incorporate, many of these different things are in different forms of religion or the new age stuff and all those kind of things. Many of them are in that, but now we're starting to bring them all together and incorporate them into our life in a true way. We also have this other, these other issues too with regard to spirits. In other words, or the afterlife you could think of it as. So we come to start realizing in, the t in, a, in a way, which is some of the paths have done this, haven't they? Like the Buddhist path has done this, the um, New Age path has done this, where they start realizing there's a whole lot of things going on out there in a different dimensional spaces that influence us, that people actually come and influence us. And we start seeing the relationship between spirits and ailments in my own body and the connection between the law of attraction and all those kind of things. We start noticing all that on the divine love path. We start feeling them around us. Whoa, that feels a bit strange. You know, that feels a bit... You can walk into a room and, you, and nobody's in it and you know somebody's in there. And you feel that. Many of you have already done that, but you become more and more aware of that as time goes on, of what their energy is and what their emotions are and what's going on for them and how that emotion has been attracted to your emotion and how that works. So you start connecting with these spirits a bit more. You start actually even being able to talk to them about their stuff and they talk to you about their, their stuff and you can talk to you, them about your stuff. And you start realizing that, wow, my dad that's passed, he's been around me all this time after he passed. I thought when he abused me when I was little that now that he's dead and gone, it's great, but he's actually been hanging around me all this time. And you start realizing that you've still got emotions to work through about that. And when you start working through those emotions, he starts working through some emotions about that. You know? Initially he might be angry and then he goes into this facing the fact that he did what he did and goes into sadness or grief just by you living in truth, you know, just by you living in the truth of that. Can you see how, how, and I can start listening all sorts of things. Um, we can start having the mics. So, um, just down here, Tris. If you put up your hand so that Tris can see where he's coming from the back. So are you saying that when, when, you know, like my mother and my father die, that their spirit stays around me? Um, it depends on what type of attractions you have between you and them as to whether they stay around you. So any time you think of them, and um, if they feel that you think of them, let's say your mum has this emotion of, I was a good mother, I was a good mother inside of her, 
and you think of her just in an instant and you think of something she did to you that was actually not very nice. Right? So that's the feeling you have inside of you. Ah, oh, she didn't treat me very nice in that particular instant. She will feel, she will know in the spirit world that that's happened inside of you and she'll feel drawn to come to you and tell you that she's a good mother, just like she used to do when she was on earth, right? If that was the emotion. I was a good mother to you. Don't you go blaming me for things that are your problem. <laughs> do you know what I mean? She might do that from the spirit world. And if you're sensitive to that, which you will be on the divine path, you'll start feeling that emotionally. Right. That. So that gives me the opportunity of looking at my own resistance within. Exactly. Yeah, it gives you really good opportunities for you to work through the emotion of it, but it also gives her opportunities to actually acknowledge that actually in that particular instant she wasn't a good mother, that she'd actually acted upon other emotions that she had that weren't very nice that actually damaged you in that particular instance. Does that make sense? So it gives her the opportunity to work through those things. So you start understanding on the divine love path that actually just because a person's past, it doesn't mean that they're out of your life. And you start also understanding things about like death, that actually there is really no such thing. And you come to actually release the emotions that are related to grief. And you no longer grieve when someone you love passes because they're still there and you can feel them. And you don't grieve them anymore. You can still have a relationship. Interesting things. Tris? Sorry. AJ, do animals have a spirit body and a soul also? Uh, animals don't have a soul, but they have a spirit body. So, so, um, and animals, uh, and this is a very important thing to understand, that the animal is actually relating to your soul. So an injury in your soul. So sometimes when an animal goes into attacking mode, it's because of a injury in the person they're trying to attack that is maybe fearful. And many of you have noticed that, that if you're afraid of a dog, then a dog seems more inclined to bark at you and be upset with you. They're feeling your fear and responding and reflecting that back to you. And that is a natural thing in all of the plant life and all of the animal life on this planet. They all reflect back at you your emotion. So... You will find that with animals, and, and particularly, you know, dogs and, or domesticated animals, they're actually reflecting your emotion constantly. Now, there's been many studies about this, on scientific studies, where, you know, a man who's had a dog at home, he goes to work, when he leaves work and goes home, the dog waits at the door as he's leaving work. The dog knows that he's leaving work, right? And then he changes his timetable. There's a study, BBC did one, didn't they? The dog changed, the, the, the man changed his timetable about leaving work. The dog still knew when he was leaving work and started, waited at the door waiting for him to come home. So animals are very, very sensitive to us emotionally when they're connected to us and less so when they're wild, but they're still very sensitive emotionally. They have a spirit form, but they don't have a soul. But because they just have a spirit form and not a soul, they can grow with us through our life, even if we're in the spirit world. So when they pass over, when a really loved animal passes over, it often is still around us here on earth and it waits until we pass. Right? And that's what happens to many domestic animals. So we pass, we'll be welcomed not only by the people we know but also by the animals that we still love. Right? Uh, can you microphone we need. Uh, I, I'm just curious with the uh, emotional re 
release and free will and moral that you talked about. So are you trying to say that uh, God actually condoned murderous intent or torturous thought? Like you know, if you if you want if you hate someone and you need to release that emotion to like kill him or things like that. So. All right. Yeah. Well, can I answer that after a little bit more? I've talked about this particular issue because I want to answer your question in full, which I haven't done yet. The the issue with regard to animals is that when you work through different emotions, your animals will respond to you in different ways, and so you, they're like our little they're like children really in the way that they respond to our emotions. So yes, animals do have a spirit body. They do not have a soul but we often feel like they have a soul because they're actually responding to our emotion. Right? And by the way, it's our suppressed emotions that also that they're responding to, or our denied emotions. And that's the thing that you often notice. So myself and Mary often walk up our path. We've got a 40-acre property out in the bush, and we walk up our path. Days that we're not afraid, the animals, the kangaroos and everything come right up close to us. We've got these little joeys at the moment that are just bouncing around the house and whatever else. And on the days we're not afraid, they all come out and bounce around. These little, you know, joeys come out and out, out of mum. They're not afraid at all. They're wild kangaroos. But as soon as we come up from our tent afraid, we don't hardly see any of them at all, or we walk out the door and they're off just because of our emotion. Does that make sense? Now, getting back to your question, with regard to what's happening with emotional processing, God gave us free will. So God gave you the will, the ability to decide anything you want to do. But God also set up a whole series of laws that have consequences. And rather than thinking of them as punishments, they are actually consequences. Every time I break a law, there will be a consequence for the breaking of that law. Now, the highest of these laws is the laws of divine love. They're the laws of God's love. And whenever I break one of those laws, there is an automatic consequence or you could, inside of my own soul where I will experience pain. The problem on earth is that we often have detuned so much from the pain that we don't notice the pain growing inside of ourselves emotionally. And it's only when we pass over into the spirit world that we have a look in the mirror and we see this very, very gross, distorted body. So a murderer, for instance, who passed over into the spirit world would pass into one of the lowest spheres of the spirit world, the first sphere, and he'll pass into a plane of the first sphere which is very, very deep and dark. And there are literally thousands of planes in the first sphere and the bottom of those planes is very dark and very... Uh, in fact, there's hardly any light at all. And there's lots and lots of terrible emotions in that place. And so a murderer, when he first passed, he would look in the mirror and see this body that's, that actually disgusts even himself. And he will actually live in this place until he works through the emotional reasons why he committed the murder. Uh, you'll need to use the microphone. So you need to... All right, so um, then how, how are you going to prevent... Uh, murderer from uh, releasing his murderous intent or how are you going to like, prevent someone who uh, has this uh, torturous uh, thought towards a person? Good. Um, the only, God doesn't prevent them so you are not going to be able to prevent them either. And uh, Sorry, uh, I know this might sound a bit off. Uh, 
That's why we have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is to um, is to show you how sinful you are in the in, in the sense that you can't uh, control your murderous thought or your lustful intent, and well, therefore you need the Holy this is Ghost what I'm of getting Jesus at. Christ. This is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is that if you release the emotion inside of you that creates the murderous thought or murderous intent, you will no longer have it ever. But you will have them kill someone. You will have them murder and torture someone. Yes. Yes. You're saying that. What What are you saying, though? No, you are saying that uh, you have to. You t- you say that you have to release the murderer. Not by acting upon it. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying by acting okay. upon it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Acting Act- upon it, and this is the assumption you're making. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying you need to feel your underlying emotional reason why you want to do it. Uh-huh. You don't release your emotions by acting upon an emotion that's unloving. You release your emotions by connecting to the underlying emotional reason why you want to do that particular thing. But, yeah, but if you have a negative intention or evil thought, then that means you have in a way, committed murder up in your mind. That's correct. Or torture up in your mind. That's correct. And, and that you need to release the emotional reason why you've had that thought. Okay. If and you h- want to come to God. Yeah. And, and, and how, how do you release it? By, by connecting to the underlying emotion. And the underlying emotion might be that you've been harmed a lot by other people mm-hmm. and, or that you feel terrible about yourself. It could be, there could be literally, with regard to a murder, there literally could be hundreds of different types of emotions that causes a person to murder. The key is to not act in harmony with an unloving thing. Remember I said we must mm. also act in mm. harmony with love. Mm. So we don't act in harmony with an unloving desire, yep. but what we do is we feel the emotion of the unloving desire fully. So I would go out to my boxing bag and get a baseball bat and yell and scream Mm. and swear and bash and Mm. just connect to the emotion. And after I do that, drop down into the uh, grief. And when I drop down into the grief of that, then I'll be crying about whatever it is that caused me to be so upset about that particular person. Just I want to ask, Mary wants to answer a few things about it too. Yeah, I, I think it's a really valid question because I think uh, uh, if somebody's new that they don't quite understand the difference between a causal emotion and an effect emotion. Yeah. And definitely when someone wants to murder or torture or or harm another, they're they're already acting in an avoidance of some of their own personal pain. They're really denying their own personal pain. So there's a common assumption on the earth that some people are just murderous and some people are just evil, if you like. But um, my belief is that that's not the case. Those people are really um, trying to avoid a deeper causal emotion within them and all anger is actually an avoidance of those kind of emotions, yeah. So all anger and rage is an avoidance technique. Not you're not actually dealing with your emotions yeah, when you're uh, in that state. Right. Um, the, the thing is now this may sound a bit off, but um, you have some people who believe that the reason why uh, some uh, say murderer or uh, serial killer rapist, the reason why they can't control themselves, is because they have a dark, twisted, like you know, satanic or demonic uh, entity within them. That is true. Yeah. Some but and, but can I just explain? A spirit who is a dark mm-hmm. spirit, an entity who's dark may connect to us, but if we deal with our causal emotion, that spirit cannot cause us to murder. And in, in order for a person to do that, 
he needs the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of Lord Jesus Christ moving within them. Like, well, the truth is that we don't need it. Um, the truth is we can deal with our emotions without God, but it is much harder to deal with our emotions without God. And so this is why on the divine love path, when you're connecting to God, you realize you've got to deal with your emotions that are murderous or, or, or angry and rageful and all those emotions, but you actually get to the underlying emotion and the way you do it is always feeling your connection with God. And, and as you do that, what happens is you sink down into the underlying emotion instead of trying to express the denial emotion. The denial emotion is always things like rage, anger, abusing others, hurting others, even yelling at others is all not, not on the divine love path. When you're doing all of those things, you are now out of harmony with God and you're now denying emotions within yourself. I just, I have a, um, I'd really love to be able to explain to this uh, gentleman about causal and capping emotions and how the law of attraction works in our life and how we can release emotions. It's a big thing I want to explain. Um, how we can release emotions without God, but how it is assisted when we involve God mm-hmm. um, and how spirits work in our law of attraction. <laughs> so do you want to come up and do all of that? <laughs> Mary's afraid. So. Hey. You feel I'll do it better, but you're the one who wants to answer. <laughs> so what if we rub this one? Does everyone just for a moment just get this? The, the, the fact that the divine love path is going to incorporate all these avenues of development is it's not, you're actually going to bring together lots of the different things you've learned over your life about things into one way of progression towards God. And that's what's going to happen on this path. Does everyone sort of understand and, and grasp that? So, all right, we'll rub that off and then Mary can go and explain the difference between causal emotion and capping emotion and so forth. The way, the way I feel about um, the way God created the universe is that he created us as emotional beings. That, that, and everything is responding to this all-powerful soul that we have, which is actually an emotional part of us. Um, it's got lots of other things about it, but in essence it's, it's emotional and all of our intellect just is an extension of this emotional state that we are. Um, and so God also created a lot of laws in our universe so that we could come to understand this truth about ourselves and one of those laws is the law of attraction now a lot of people think that the law of attraction acts around the way we think about things Um, but it's actually based on our emotions and God created the law of attraction and the law of desire so that when we when we're in a um, a pure loving state where we don't have any emotional injury, we attract everything that we desire, everything that we want and we need in our life. The problem happens that when we're children, we're not allowed to be this emotional being that we are because everyone around us isn't in that state either and so it's very confronting for them when we are emotional. So the way that God... Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> The way that God devi- well, the way that God de- designed our soul was that all emotion would just flow through it naturally. 
there'd be things happening in our life and and even now in the in the world that we live in where things are not very in harmony with love if a child was raised in the way that they could just feel all of their emotions passing through them even if they were painful and sad they would actually grow into an adult with very few emotional injuries but what happens is that we get shut down so the way it's designed to be is like a just a general flow that happens all the time but when we get when we're children and we're smacked or we're told don't don't cry or when you cry I feel upset so don't do that um or or even worse some abuse or something happens to us that we're not able to express to others or to deal with the emotions come into us and they get stuck we're not allowed to cry or scream or feel what we feel. Usually we don't have this with happy emotions because everyone's okay with us laughing and stuff like that. <laughs> but when so we we end up with this soul that has lots of stuff stored up in it and it can be sadness and grief, feeling unloved from the people around us. So the way so that's an issue for us and that then because we're not allowed to feel our sadness we then start to have other emotions on top of it, like anger. And as we grow into adults, we so some of the anger is childhood anger that we have there on top of our sadness because we weren't allowed to feel sad and then we felt angry about it and then we weren't even allowed to feel our anger. So that's stored within us. Then as we grow into adults, other things happen in our life and we begin to feel we begin to get triggered or we begin to have emotions stir within us. But because that's a really scary place for us, we've never experienced that before in our life, we start to have other emotions on top that are going to help us avoid those really deep blocked emotions. And some of those are also angry emotions and sometimes they can be murderous or torturous. But the way that... How am I going? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're doing good. But God designed this beautiful law called the law of attraction, which is actually a law to help us to return to this very emotional state, this very free state where we can just live in our emotions and express who we truly are. So what happens is when we have these blocked emotions within us, the law of attraction acts not on our thoughts but on these emotions. Well, it acts on all of our emotions, but we notice it more when it acts on these emotions. Because <laughs> what happens is, I'm just trying to think of an example. Can you think of an example? Uh, with a blocked emotion? Uh, yeah, and the law of attraction. Well, let, let's say I feel like I want to have a relationship, but uh, I don't seem to be attracting any women into my life. Right? But I want to have a relationship. The truth is that here I'm thinking I want to have a relationship, but there's an emotion in me that I feel that I'm unworthy of a relationship. So there's an, the emotion is creating my law of attraction. It's not my mind. I often think, oh, I'd love to have a relationship. Sometimes I even cry. Oh, it'd be lovely to have a relationship and it's sad that I don't and all those kind of things. So I'm crying and thinking that I want a relationship, but in reality... There's this feeling inside of me that might be a fear of vulnerability in a relationship that I'm not releasing. And it's that fear through the law of attraction that creates my reality. So the truth, this is what we often hear of called as subconscious emotions. Right? So the truth is that all emotions can be conscious, but, and all thoughts are, can be conscious too. The truth is that this 
suppressed emotion that I don't release creates my law of attraction, so therefore creates my reality. Is that a good example? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so everyone then thinks, gee, the law of attraction's pretty bad. If I feel like I'm not going to be loved by a man, I'm never going to be loved by a man. But the truth is it's actually a very beautiful law because if I'm aware of my law of attraction and I, I want to be in a relationship and I'm looking for men, I'm going out on dates and nothing ever happens, if I'm willing to feel the emotion that is being triggered within me, if I feel it to its core, I'll get down probably to a feeling about my dad, my dad was never around, I never felt loved by him. If I release that it will actually leave me, so I'll feel it at a very childlike level and it might take me a couple of hours to have a really good cry about it. When I do that, my soul is then in a clearer condition in that one area and I'll actually start to attract a man who really loves me. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, uh Right, um, sorry. I'm not finished though. Okay. Can okay. I just keep going? Yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> so that's, that's how the law of attraction works. Now when it comes to feeling my emotion, if I involve God in that process, if I'm longing to God, asking for God's assistance to help me feel this emotion and help me feel some of her love, if I long for God in that process, it will speed up the process. So that emotion will leave me a lot quicker and my law of attraction will change for the better. Now, before you mentioned about spirits, because it's very true that sometimes murderers and serial killers do have very dark spirits with them. And those people are just people who are just like us on the earth once who had a lot of blocked emotion, a lot. And they didn't know about the law of attraction, they didn't know about God, they didn't know about any of the beautiful laws of the universe. And when they passed and went to the spirit world, they, they didn't understand where they were then either. But they knew they had these awful feelings inside of them. I, I don't want to feel what's really hurting inside of me. I need to hurt, I need to rape, I need to, to kill. So what happens there in the spirit world? There's someone else on earth who has similar emotions. Through the law of attraction, that spirit comes closer to that person because God designed it that the law of attraction would bring us things that would help to trigger our emotion. So you can see why this is an important law for everyone to learn about because the person who has these deep, dark emotions who's still on the earth, if they don't know about it, then they're compelled to go and hurt another person. But if they know about the law of attraction, they realize, oh my gosh, my dark feelings are really heightening. There must be something here for me. If I'm brave enough to go into my emotion, it will be released from me. And that will actually help the spirit who is with me also. But, uh, yeah, this is very interesting. Now, the thing is, I'm just curious. Uh, so what is the source of this uh, repressing or... Uh, suppressing dark emotion, like what is uh, causing a, a person to to experience this and uh, repress the emotion? It's because we all walked away from love. And and what causes us to walk away from love? It's like it's as if you know, you have you have people out there who are you have some people out there who are being like brainwashed, mind control, and conditioned by their environment. 
And you have to ask yourself, who's the one that sort of like, you know, uh, spiritually generate, if not uh, manipulate and create a system of worldliness where you will have people like that who will be living in a repressed emotion. So The truth is we're all living with repressed emotion at the moment. Every single one of us in this room. So we can, we can judge these people who have really dark amounts of repressed emotion within them. But the truth is a lot of us have just as much repressed emotion. We're just not acting on it. And the so reason can I that explain it, though the actual original cause. Yeah. The original cause. There was a time when the first human, there was a first human couple, by the way. And that's something we didn't discuss yesterday. Their names were Ammon and Amen. And you can speak with them in the spirit world when you pass. They are, they are in the spirit world. And what happened was right at the beginning, God gave them the, this gift of free will, just like we have the gift of free will. But what they decided to do was they decided that they would be better off becoming gods. In other words, Instead of actually being God's child, which is how God created us to be, her, her children, they decided that they were going to be gods in their own right, not needing God at all in their life. So they made this big decision, they made it together, they made this big decision to deny any assistance from God. And what they, what they actually did, and when you speak with them about it, they'll explain some of the emotions that rose in them. They were in a perfected natural love state, but they decided that they wanted to be God. They decided they could be God themselves. In other words, they could have their own universe. They could have their own rules. They could have, they decided all these different things. It was a huge decision that they made. Now, as a result of that, and by the way, many of us make this decision every single day of our lives when you think about it, right? Many of us right now still make the same decision. Anyway, they made this decision to be, I suppose you could say, the rulers of their own universe, to be completely self-reliant. And so they started walking away from God. And the problem with walking away from God is we automatically start detuning from God's love. And as soon as we start detuning from love, emotions start arising within us that are disharmonious with love. And as soon as that starts occurring, then... We do more things disharmonious with love. So it all comes from the, from the fact that we were given this free will choice. We have the free will choice to do anything we wish. Now, a lot of people then say, well, then God made a mistake. God shouldn't have given us free will. But my feelings are, no, we made the mistake by using our free will in a manner disharmonious with love. Now, I think personally that the gift of free will is the most power, one of the most powerful gifts God has given us. And in fact, the whole point of individualization is to actually use our free will and learn how to use our free will in a way that uplifts ourselves and everyone else around us. One of the most damaging ways to use our free will is to try to damage myself or damage anyone around me. And when we do those things, we walk away from God, we walk away from love, we walk away from truth, and the only course of action from walking away from God, love and truth is a degradation of our own condition. So what happened is man started in a six-fear state and they degraded in their condition so much that what you know as some of these like skeletal sort of men from history, you know, that they've now found skeletons of, of only being this high and in a very, very poor state, 
that all came about through this degradation of their emotional and soul condition. And then, so man went through this process of a devolution, a devolution instead of an evolution, where they, instead of evolving into more powerful beings, they devolved into these animal-like creatures in the end, where their primary motivations were food, sex, and that's about it, like in, in terms of what, what they did in their entire life. Many of them lived until they were 20 or less years of age and died because they were old, like you know how we have an old age person now, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years of age. Back then, an old person was 20 like in, this, in this devolved state. And so, and then man, because the spirits all passed and started working through their emotions, man started to have positive influences coming from the spirit world. Now that they have positive influences, they started understanding a little bit more of love and understanding a little bit more of these laws of free will and how they're damaging others. And so slowly man started to evolve again, to grow out of this really dark and dingy condition and rise out of that condition back into being what we see today, which, by the way, what we are today is still not what we could be. The truth is, today, every single person in this room could look 25, right? no matter how old you are. Right? That's the truth. If we had dealt with lots of the emotions and we're in our fully evolved condition, but... We're not yet in our fully evolved condition, but we're nowhere near what we were about, you know, a hundred thousand years ago or so, or even fifty thousand years ago in this terribly devolved, damaged condition. But the whole reason why that whole such scenario occurred was because we decided to walk away from love. We made the choice to do it. And when you think about it today, many of us still make the same choice. And we make it for lots of different reasons. A lot of times it's because we think our emotions, we don't own our own emotions, as Mary was saying, they're all blocked there within us and that causes pain. And then we, instead of feeling our emotional pain and working our right through that, I want to create pain in you as well as me. And as soon as I go into that state, I personally am devolving. I am going backwards again in my own progression through the exercise of my free will. Does that make sense? Uh, so, do you believe in the existence of Satan? Like, you know, no. No, I, I've been in the spirit world yeah. and there is no Satan. But there are spirits who have come from earth who are far worse than any Satan you could imagine. Mm. All right. All right. Fair enough. And by the way, there are hundreds of thousands of these spirits who are far worse than any Satan that you could draw a picture of in your own mind or see in books. Right? They are very distorted and grotesque physically and they also have a terrible, terrible group of emotions that mean all they want to do is destroy everything around them. And they have gone so far in denial that they're now in this terrible state. We can help them get out of it and they can still get out of it and we can help them get out of it as well. Here on earth we can help them get out of it. And in, in time we will. I feel very positive that in fact what's coming up in the next 10, 10 to 20 years means that the majority of them will get out of it. So. Um, you're right, babe. You. Yeah, I think I'm done. You've done? Yeah.
And if we get it just a lady behind you, yeah, in black, yeah. thanks. Sorry, I just want to ask you a question. As a teacher... Um, is the mic on? I just want to check whether the mic's on. Sorry. Is that right? better? Yeah. As a teacher, um, how do I teach without impeding the free will of the kids in my class? Yep. Without inform putting some controls on things. Mm. Well, um, eventually what's going to happen here on Earth is that the teaching that will happen on Earth is the same kind of teaching that will happen in the spirit world. And it's very, very different to what's currently happening here on Earth. You see, the teaching system that's created here on Earth is based around a lot of injuries in the adults of what we perceive education to be. So what do we perceive education to be? You quite often hear from rigid persons, the three, R, three R's that don't really, they're not R's anyway, what are they? Reading and writing and arithmetic, but anyway. And so, you know, we often hear that it's just, education is just a process of the intellect. Then we also know that from books like Emotional Intelligence and other things that there's also this emotional part of the person that needs to be developed. And in fact, once we start being a teacher, and you've seen that in your own life, how you can see how the emotions in the child affect their learning. In fact, when they have the emotion, they can't learn very well at all in many cases. And so you start seeing this interrelationship between emotions and, and the, you know, the actual learning process. But then we've got this imposition from the laws or the governments and the, and what everyone perceives to be the right thing to do that no, 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 don't worry about the emotions. Just, just make sure you get those basic skills into this person. In the spirit world, it doesn't happen like that at all. The way it happens in the spirit world is that the person exercises a desire to learn and then they're taught. Now, the way it's done is very clever, though, because it, there's ways to do it. The way to do it is create an environment that is so fascinating that the person cannot but help themselves to ask a question. Right? And so what that does inside of the soul, as soon as we're in this desire phase, as soon as we desire an answer about something, now we can be taught. So what they do in the spirit world with all the children is they have these very large places. There's a location in the spirit world in the top of the first sphere called Summerland. And they have these very, very large places that are for all the children who pass and, and are still not adults yet on their own, exercising their own free will properly at this point. And what they do is they educate them through this system of desire. So what they do is they create an entire system and an entire location that is purpose-built to attract attention in every possible way. And it's very, very fascinating. Um, and so you get these children, these little children who have passed, uh, who are in these locations. What happens is these children are just so fascinated, they want to ask questions. The question after question. You, you've been like this with your children at times, right? You're walking along the road. Why is that happening? What's that plant? Why is that animal like this? And, and you get this constant series of questions. And that is the best time to teach your children, right? And so in the spirit world, that's how it's all going. That's how it's all. And there's no focus on the reading, writing, arithmetic and all that kind of stuff because that's all a part of it. That's all a part of it. They, when they ask the question, they show them the mass of it or they show them, you know, the language of it or they show them the skill of actually expressing themselves as a part of the exercise. But it's all driven by the desire of the child. So let's flick that over. So we're talking now about idealis, uh, an ideal school system, right? 
And by the way, when I present answers to you, all of them will be presented based on what God wants us to do and not what we're currently doing. So in an ideal system, every one of these children is allowed to experience their own emotions. So if they go through an experience of anger where they start actually dumping their anger onto another person, what happens in the spirit world is that person is scooped up by a spirit who is versed in helping this kind of this kind of problem. They, they are taken away and given private help to actually work their way through that emotion. Right? Once they've worked their way through that emotion, they're allowed to go back to the location where they were with all the other children because they're no longer damaging the other children. Now, for that to occur on earth, we have to throw away money as the driving factor of education. Right? Money at the moment is one of the most damaging problems that we have on the planet. The truth is there's enough food to feed all of us. There's enough resources to all of us have shelter and all of us to have quite a lot of things on this planet. But what we do in the end is we're starting to focus on the money and it becomes a driving force. Economy becomes a driving force of most of the things we finish up doing. Most of the things we finish up doing in health is economy driven. Most of the things we finish up doing in education is economy driven. Now, if we threw away economy-driven education, what we'd be able to do is have people who are able to help these children who are what we would call problem children. Now, now, on the earth, why are they problem children? As you know, in every single case that you've got a child in that's unruly in your classroom, generally it's because of what's happening at home. Right? So, so it's not wise for us here on earth to just help the problem child because what happens... You know, we help the child cry an emotion out today. They go home tonight, get belted and slapped around and, and abused and not fed, and not fed tonight and maybe fed once in the morning and they come back to school. Now they've got a whole other series of damage. So if we were in a real situation in the spirit world, that child would not be allowed to go back to those parents anymore until those parents exercised a desire to deal with their emotions that cause them to abuse that child. And those parents would actually be separated from that child in the spirit world. And of course the child goes along with it because the child wants to be not abused anymore. And I help, the child is helped then to work their way through their emotions and the parents help. There's no like condemnation of the system up in the spirit world either for doing that. There is no condemnation of the parents for being in the condition that they're in. All that happens is everything is driven on desire. So the parents now would have to develop a desire within themselves if they want to have their child in that location because the child's will is not to be in the location where they're going to get abused. But again, what we do is economy-driven. You know, there is in, in this system, there's economy-driven. What happens if there's whole groups of children who don't want to be with their parents? What do we do in this society? Well, what we do is we condemn the parents for their behaviour, we even lock them up for their behaviour, which actually creates more damage to that parent and doesn't help them deal with the causal emotion. And the child is expected to go back with the parent or back to another foster family or two foster families, three, which creates all sorts of issues there as well. So we've got so many issues to change here when it comes to education that are all linked to other things other than education. And so what we need is people on the on the planet that are actually going to be leaders in these areas. And now, with regard to education, there are already on the planet uh, some 
education locations where the children live there, they actually build the location where they're going to be educated. And through that process, they learn all things about building, self-responsibility, how to interact with others, and lots of other beautiful qualities they develop. And then they educate each other, and the lecturer or the person who's the teacher is only there to give advice. Now, in Russia, there's one of those systems. And they can, they actually have children who are university educated by the age of 12 years of age coming out of that system. Alright? Now, so the, the, the thing is we need to start incorporating these particular things into mainstream, mainstream society. But it's going to require us changing a lot of belief systems to do it. One of them is condemning parents rather than helping parents who are abusive. We so often go into condemnation. You, you see this a lot with regard to if a pedophile goes into a certain location. What happens? You don't have, like, you know, help given to them or anything like that to work their way through their causal emotion about why they're a pedophile. What you have is a hundred parents picketing their house trying to prevent them from being anywhere near their children in fear. Right? What's, what's going to solve the problem? The man dealing with causal emotion is the only thing that's going to solve the problem. So he needs to be, before he's released back out into society, he needs to be working through emotions. And once you're sensitive to emotion, you can tell when another person's worked through their emotion. And this is why for many of you, you come up and talk to me and say, oh, you've got this emotion to deal with or that emotion to deal with. And you say, oh, no, I don't. I say, yes, you do, I'm sorry. Um, because I can feel that emotion still there, right? Now, if you had like hundreds of people sensitive to that or thousands of people sensitive, you would know when a man who's a pedophile hasn't worked through his emotion. And there'd be no court system deciding that he had you know, because you can fake a lot of things here on the planet, right? Just by saying it. There would actually be feelings. Yes, five of us feel, we can feel the feeling from you still that you've got this issue with your mother to work your way through. And if that issue is driving this issue. We can feel inside of you you've got this sexual issue with children to work your way through. And we can feel that. And so you can't be released until you've worked your way through that particular emotion. So getting back to the education system, you can see that if the education system is based around desire, then it's going to work really well. It also is going to be a beautiful thing to be a teacher in that environment, right? Because you're not getting hammered by economies, you're not getting hammered by all of these different governmental rules and regulations that half of the time you don't even agree with. And you know what I mean? You, you, you know what's happening on the ground and you can help these children in every single case, the, the ones that are finding difficulty in learning in a real loving environment. But to do that, like I say, there needs to be quite a lot of changes and we need to have leaders who have a passion for that change. And some of you will probably do that. There's quite a number of teachers in our audiences generally and many of you, after applying some of these divine, divine truth principles in your life, will feel the drive to actually create these kind of locations. And because you've now not got a law of abundance issue with money and you're not got a law... You will create those things in education. Until that time, what needs to occur is that each of us, and this applies to every system that we're in, each of us need to start looking at living at the truth in the system we're in. So you see, if you live in truth in the system you're in, the system you're in will be confronted. Right? Because the system we're in is usually in a place of error. 
And if we're in a place of divine truth, so we've connected with God and we can feel God's truth about a matter, what will happen is that we start speaking this truth. We start actually verbalizing what we know to be truth without fear, because so we'd have to work through our fear, and we do it without fear, and we'd have to work through our desire to condemn, and we do it without condemnation or judgment. And once we can do it without fear and without condemnation or judgment, but still live in truth, we can be in a system and confront it daily. And you have enough people confronting a system, and the system will change. And it doesn't take many people confronting a system for the system to change. Far less proportion than what you might imagine. And this is why it's so important to have this initial change occurring inside of us emotionally first. But does that answer some of your questions about education? Yeah. Some of those things you've already felt too, haven't you? Yeah. And up the back there. No, it's not on. Just on that topic of being a teacher, if a teacher works through the law of attraction, the fact that they've actually got into the classroom, they're attracting certain kids that trigger them into their own emotion of maybe powerlessness or frustration, or does that change the classroom environment if the yes. teacher works through their own emotion? Very much okay. so. So if the teacher, teacher has an emotion, for example, inside of themselves that they want to suppress emotion of their own, so if they've got some grief, for example, inside of themselves that they want to suppress. Let's say there's a child who's just another little soul, if you like, still developing soul, is attracted to the teacher through the law of attraction. This child starts crying. The teacher would firstly need to deal with what emotion inside of herself causes herself to suppress her own tears that this child would begin to trigger. Now, as she does that, this child will actually cry in a causal way and release the emotion very rapidly. But if the teacher doesn't deal with her emotion, this child may cry all day. Right? Because there's an emotional confrontation happening. So you imagine a teacher, this is why it's very interesting being a teacher, because you've got a classroom of like 20 to 30 people, all law of attraction emotions towards you. Right? Now, a lot of us as parents have problems with two or three children with that going on, right? So if you can imagine 30 of them now doing this, there's going to be law of attraction things happening for you all day. And as a teacher, the, one of the core things is going to be own your own emotion, everything. And by owning it, it means you're going to need to experience it. So if I was a teacher, what I would do, if I can't experience the emotion in the environment under the environment of the education system that it's given me, what I would do is every time I notice the emotion of anger rising me, I'd write that down as I'm, as I'm doing the teaching. I'd write it down, my own emotion. If I notice an emotion of grief, I'd write that down. If I notice an emotion of something else, I'd write that down during the day. And then I would revisit and pray about those emotions when I got home at night and allow myself to actually be triggered by those triggers that occur during the day. Now, once you progress even further, you won't even wait anymore. You won't care that you're going to get the sack anymore. Right? And so when a child triggers you emotionally, you'll just go straight into your tears too. Right? So your child's crying, the child's crying, coming out to crying or doing something, and that triggers something in you. So away you go. You start crying. Right? And you cry, and then... You're crying, the child's crying, and you know what will happen with children, and this happens all the time with children, 
when you're dealing with a causal emotion, there is now no longer pressure on the child to conform to your emotional denial anymore. And what most of the child do, they, after, they, they start calming down. And ironically, what happens in most cases is they actually do it quietly, do things quietly until you're done. So in an ideal environment, the teacher would be allowed to experience her emotion. Now when I say an ideal environment, you can create the environment by confronting the system. But you've got to be brave because you might lose your job doing it, right? And that's the problem that we have in the world today is that oftentimes we're not allowed, the person in this area of responsibility is not allowed to express their emotion. And so what happens when they're not allowed is that everyone around them gets that unhealed emotion moment by moment by moment. Do you imagine you'd have managers all sitting down working way through their causal emotion? You know, so, so people attacking them so they deal with their causal emotion and you know what I mean? If you had a perfect world, this would happen automatically. It's not a perfect world, but how is it going to become one? It's going to become one by a few of us doing it automatically and showing others what's going on, what's actually happening. And then it's going to become one by people in science proving that this actually works, you know? that it's not cognitive therapy and behavioural therapy and behavioural modification and, and all of these other things that work very well, because as you know as a teacher, right, they don't work very well, right? And and it's this thing that's going to work. But what often happens is nobody wants to look at this thing because all of us are in the state where, we, as Mary said, we want to shut down some causal emotion. And so when we get to a phase where we've got openness in the emotion, what will happen is a lot of these changes will happen very rapidly. And this is where, if you want to change the world, You've got to start with yourself. But start with yourself at the soul level. And is it on? I don't know if it's on. Just there it is. Hello, Jay. How are you? Um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say. I work in preschool, which is Montessori preschool. And Montessori was born 100 years ago, and he was a, she was a scientist, but she wants to help children then observe first, and she allow all the free wills. So we, we make all the environment ready for children. Anything they want, painting, um, door making, or even just not, there's nothing seed, you can go just sit down, have book for one hour if they want to, or just... So there was no real rules imply, imposed mm. upon the children? They, they yeah. were allowed to do what allowed they wanted? Allowed to do, but we, we create the safest... Right, with yeah, a creative, in a creative environment. Like books there, yeah. and puzzles there, if they want science there, if they want a mask, um, some blocks available, and even fruit and veggies um, ready for them. If they're hungry, they just help themselves. So they're allowed to even eat when they want it? Yes. Awesome. Um, they don't have to tell us... I don't know about you, but I'm impressed by that. Yeah. <laughs> I like eating when I want. They don't have to tell us they're going to the toilet, or they just get up, go... Go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're wet, hopefully they change. Yeah. They don't have to tell us if they can. Yeah. If they need help, help me, that's fine, we help you. Yeah. And yeah, and because everyone's free, so um, children come our school and s scream 
and then parents leave and go, and then five seconds they smile and happy. <laughs> Once the parents are gone, they're gone. <laughs> it's yeah. so amazing that I can see all the emotion and all our emotions too. If I'm not good in there, yep. things happen and it's very confronting too. Yep. And last couple of weeks, um, our director has uh, lost his brother. Yeah. And she has a lot of, lot of um, emotion comes up. Yeah. Children screams and. So you've got now the children happened. crying and screaming yeah, because everything someone's happening feeling grief. Oh. Yeah. But I haven't told truth about, um, about God and AJ. Yeah. I show her your, she can't watch her through. Yeah. But, um, because, um, I'm trying to be open, um, I set it up, um, Teaching children, if they feel very angry, go and bash some um, mats with the um, duster. Yeah. So I say, ah! <laughs> I'm showing yeah. how to do it. Yeah. Two children just come up with me and brighter eyes and after he screamed and everything. Yeah. They don't need five minutes, just one minute it's gone. Yeah. And happiest ever. Yeah. It's just amazing awesome. how they do. Yeah. And yeah, I like being there, but very confronting these days. Very confronting for your yeah, emotions. In the morning, I feel so scared to go yeah, to yeah. work. <laughs> what's going to come up today? Yeah, yeah what's going to happen today? Yeah, um, yeah, I love children, so I'm so happy there. Yeah, but I just want to tell everybody there's a lot of Montessori in, in already in, uh, um, United States, Italy, Japan, and here in Australia too. Yeah. 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 So th there is already a lot of things sort of happening. It's just a matter of understanding what's going on at the emotional level a lot of times, at the soul level that I described. That's really important. Thanks. Hi, Jack. G'day. Um, I have another question about souls. Um, when they're joined and before they're in the unincarnated condition, unincarnated. Yep. Um, you said something about um, before, like one soul uh, is born and the other one has this urge. Where do they go before that? Because they're obviously not in the spirit world because then they get contaminated or I don't know. Uh, can you explain the before process? Um, there's a it's a state rather than a location for a start, it's important to understand, that the state that they're in is that they are connected to God as their parent, and while they remain unincarnated, they have, um, and this applies even for the half of the soul, remember that really in the end, you know how I draw it, I draw it like here's the, the soul and I draw it like it splits in half like that, right? In reality, and this is going to be difficult perhaps to understand. In reality what's happening is you're always actually joined to your soulmate, right? And and so when half of the soul incarnates, the other half of the soul is joined to them energetically. So it's a state of being and not a location of being. And so they will be near their soulmate no matter what. So no matter where you are on the planet, you are actually still joined to your soulmate, whether you know it or not. 
It's about becoming consciously aware emotionally that you are joined as to how it grows. So the truth is that the two halves are really always joined together and can never be separated. They have this, they have the largest law of attraction. But from a physical point of view and an emotional point of view, it feels like there's separation. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, but they do have to be incarnated on earth. They do have to incarnate into a physical body. The reason why is when you sep- when the soul separates in this way, there are certain senses that it has as a combined soul that when it starts to separate, remember it's still joined, but there's a, there's a feeling of separation. There's a lot of different parts of the soul. You could think of it like sort of connectors, connector points. You know how you can get uh, two things and connect them together um, like they're one? Like Lego. Sorry? Like Lego. Like Lego, or I would actually picture it almost like an almond. You know how an almond's got two halves and you split it apart and it's got that nice shiny bit down the centre, and but it, only that almond will go back together with that other side of the almond. You know, you can't put another one that you've just broken up together and they never fit together perfectly. But if you get that one particular almond seed, split it open and pull it back together, you can put it back together perfectly, right? So even though they're open, there's this, still this connection between the two. They mirror each other in connection. And But in order to experience themselves, in the case of our soul, they have to be connected to bodies. They have to be connected to a body in the physical realm to experience the physical. And they have to be connected to a body in the spirit realm to, exp- to, to experience the spiritual. And the only time they don't need to be connected to the body is when they're back together again in a complete union, the soul union state, and then they no longer need bodies anymore, although many times they might have hundreds of bodies connected at a point, right? which is another story. But, but what's ha- so what's happening is they need this body, and you can think of this spirit body, right? So here's a male spirit body, material body, or the physical body. There's the two bodies. They are connected. These bodies are really just tools through which the soul can gather information, sensory information and emotional information about its universe. And there is these, I didn't talk about it yesterday, but these, there's these connectors. Um, there's a chord that is well known um, in most circles nowadays. It's called the silver chord. In spirit literature, they, it's actually a silver cord. That's why they call it one. It is this energetic cord that connects the material body to the spirit body. And when you die, that breaks. It separates. And what that means then is that while this cord is connected, you can assimilate emotions and sensory information into your soul. Right? When this cord disconnects, now this body is no longer able to function because it's no longer physically connected to the spirit body or the soul anymore and the spirit body then becomes the primary point of sensory input. So This is why when you go into... Um, anyone had a near-death experience? A few people? Okay, quite a few. When you're in a near-death experience, what's happening is you're almost at the state where now this silver cord is breaking. Right? And so what happens is there's this transfer over of sensory information to your spirit body. 
And so from now on, you're actually receiving most sensory input and most emotional input, even, even sight, sound, taste, everything, is coming through your spirit body senses into your soul rather than your physical body senses into your soul. Now, if that cord snaps, you would pass. If the cord doesn't snap, then you can come back into this state. This is exactly also what happens when people go what are called out of body, or what other people might call um, astral travel and all those kind of things. All that's happening there is the physical body is being left as the primary sensory input, and your spirit body is now experiencing the primary sensory input. Right? And in that state, you can travel in different means of which you can use move this body. Right? And so you can start experiencing different things in the spirit world. Now, a lot of people experience quite negative things in that state because of different laws of attraction. But some people experience positive things. Sometimes they have spirits with them who take them up somewhere and show them something. And you, and as a spirit, you can loan another person energy and loan them love, if you like, for a short period of time to show them something and then drop them back down into their normal state. And so the out-of-body experience even is is the difference between sensory inputs coming from the physical to sensory inputs coming from the spirit body. These sensory inputs exist, remember I said yesterday, there's a superset of sensory inputs on each capability. So the physical body has a certain limitations. When you go to the spirit world, the spirit body has less limitations. It has a greater capacity for sense, but there's a lot of more sensory information. And the soul itself has even more sensory information. And then there's one half of the soul, but the combined soul is an even greater unit that has even more. And in fact, that becomes our greatest unit in terms of having the most possible capabilities. And then, if you think of divine love as growing that soul into a big super soul, <laughs> if you like, and so this, this super soul can grow infinitely in sensory information. So that's the capacity, or well, that's the future for your soul. So you first go through, you can think of it like you're changing states. You're, what you're doing is you're changing states in terms of a part of your learning experience. So the first learning experience is the material body. When you pass, now your learning experience is via the spirit body. When you get to the soul union state, your learning experience is by that body. And who knows what we can learn in that state? That state, to me, is like, I, I sort of feel myself, like I'm a baby in that state. I'm a baby there. We're a child sitting in mummy or daddy's arms, ready to be really educated. So if you think we're being really educated on earth here when you go to a university or something, trust me, that is just like child's play, shall we call it. And what's happening in this state, is now you have the ability to learn these immense, immensely powerful lessons and also to become the person that God designed you to be. And from what I've seen of God's designs, this particular state can grow infinitely as you receive love from God more and more. That state will grow infinitely. And I also have this feeling that not only is divine love the only thing you can receive from God, but there will be lots of other attributes and qualities in this state that you can receive from God that you can't receive from God in any other state. Does that make sense? 
So that's sort of the future of your soul, if you like. Um, yeah, I, I sort of have a little bit more of a question. Far away um, with the questions. Okay, so I'm in a body and I have all these amazing possibilities of experiences and everything else. If I die and don't have a child, for example, mm -hmm. that, you know, that the mirror of emotions that I could potentially work through, mm -hmm. if I go into the spirit world and I can't have a baby there, like the, I can't have a baby, then how do I, you know, the law of attraction of, releasing those emotions? Well, for a start, there are a group of them. If you have a desire, let's say your mother, or not being a mother, and there's a desire in you to have a child, and this is like a really burning desire in you to have a child, it's not actually driven by a pure emotion. There is actually a number of different emotional injuries that you need to work, work your way through. The irony is that when you work your way through them, you will probably automatically have a child after that point. Right? Whether it's through relationship or whatever else. The problem today is a lot of times we interpret something as a burning desire when in reality it's actually based on some severe emotional injuries we have about these particular things. Now that's quite hard to hear if, if, if a man is talking to a group of women about that issue. But Mary has personally experienced that um, herself as she's working her way through some of the injuries she has from her first century life her desire, her, what she thought was a desire to have a child, she's starting to realize was actually an injury, emotional injury to have a child. Once she works through that, ironically, if she still wants to have a child, it will be a pure desire and pure desires are generally auto always automatically fulfilled. You follow me? Secondly, um, if we pass from, let's say we have a burning desire to have a child and we're a female soul on the earth with burning desire to have a child, but something unforeseen occurs and we pass. So we're now in the spirit world, right? You cannot have a child in the spirit world. So when I say have a child, I mean give birth to a child in the spirit world. So what you will happen to you is you'll have to be working your way through that emotion of that feeling of loss and the feeling that of regret about not having a child while you had the opportunity in the, in the, or that you didn't have the opportunity on earth to have a child. However, when you think about it, if you follow God's path of progression, which results in the one-minute of the soul and it results in the, the, the process of reincarnation, you could certainly have a child at some point in the future. Does that make sense? But let's look at what really children are, shall we? Let's really look at what children are. What children are is this. He is God. He is God's children. Remember, I drew them as little souls, if you like. Right? He is God's children. Then the child incarnates. Created, attached to a body. Whose child is that? It's God's child. And who is that in relation to me if I created this body? It's my brother or sister. Right? See, this one of the biggest problems we have on this planet, and to be frank with you, it causes a, a lot of issues with families, education, all sorts of other issues, is this belief that my child is my child. 
I'm sorry, the child is not your child. The child is God's child, and all you did was create a body for it. That's all you did, through your desire to have sex. That's the only thing that happened. It is not your child. Stop thinking you own your children, right? Or can even own your children. Now, this is a very important thing to understand because if I stop owning my children and I start seeing this particular child that I created, God's child that I created bodies for, so all, all I did was create the bodies. In fact, I don't even know how I created the bodies. It was just this sex act thing that occurs that I wanted to do and in that process the bodies were created but who knows scientifically how that occurred. Most of us have totally clueless about that operation, so we can't even say that we even created the bodies, really, could we? It was the entire process that God put together to create the bodies that we can enjoy the process of. So these two bodies I created in a very, very loose way. Right? I didn't create this soul, and this soul is not my child. This soul is God's child. In fact, it's half of one of God's children. Now, what's my focus then as a parent? My focus as a parent stops being, don't you do anything to my child, this is my child, getting my child to make me proud, all that crap goes. Because all we're focused on now is teaching this child about God's love for it. And as that child learns about God's love for it, it will learn everything else automatically. And that's how simple it is to bring up a child. But what do we do? We go down this other road. And by the way, in the first century, I didn't go down that road because the time that Mary and I conceived a child together, within a few months I was crucified. So I didn't have that experience. But trust me, in this life I've had the experience now. One of the reasons why we had the experience and chose the experience that we've done is so that I could experience some things that I didn't know about in the first century. And this experience of having children, I've gone down the track for, for the first 12 or 13 years of their life of thinking them as my children, just like probably many of you have. Now I see them in a completely different way. They are just my brother. My, I've got two sons and they are my brothers. And uh, you've seen one of my brothers. And he's pretty close to me. Tristan, would you like to stand up so people who haven't met you? There's my close brother, Tristan. So Tristan feels himself also to not be my son anymore. He feels that we're brothers too. Okay? And we both feel like we're children of God. Right? So, so the beauty of, of understanding it that way means that I'm not ever now going to impose my will upon this child because this child is not mine. I understand that completely. This child is God's child who I can love just like any other child. So I love Tristan the same amount as I love all of you. But we obviously have a special bond because 
He and I are on the same path spiritually, growing towards God, both recognizing very, very similar things. And because Tristan is growing very rapidly uh, in terms of this, on this relationship with God, I feel very close to him as a result of that. Because anybody who's growing on the relationship with God, I feel close to. And also because I've known him for a lot of his life and seen the changes that he's made because of the choices that he is making, got nothing to do with me, it's the choices that he is making that is causing him to change. Now, the relationship that I honour with Tristan the most is his relationship with his soulmate. That's the relationship I honour. Because that is the other half of him. And in fact, it is going to be the soulmate relationship that is going to be the only permanent relationship that you will have. Now, when I say permanent, I don't mean that you won't have relationships with other people that last thousands of years or even hundreds of thousands of years. What I'm saying is that the soulmate relationship is you are both halves of the same entity. So therefore, you are going to at some point recognize that and at some point you'll get to the point where you are combined as one and you will be the one entity. Um, even though you may have two bodies connected. You may even have four bodies connected. Because remember, you, you can be this person on earth. And remember on earth, you at the moment have two bodies. You have a spirit body and a material body. And then your soulmate has a spirit body and material body. So there's two bodies each. So there's four bodies connected to this one entity, the soul. So it doesn't worry about the bodies. We're talking about the soul itself. So... So you will get to the stage where instead of seeing children as yours, you will see them as God's. And so you will also see your role. Your role as their older brother or sister is to help educate them in God's love. That's your role. And in fact, God created the universe to assist you to do that. There is just so many things on this planet and in the universe itself that can assist you to tell and educate your children about their connection with God. But the problem is nowadays, we just view it as all that, like evolution all just popped into, you know, here by chance and everything and we dismiss that there was ever even a creator of it all and we go down this other track of uh, going all scientific and teaching about evolution and what are we really teaching them in the end? We're teaching them to detune from the fact that they are God's child. And remember I said earlier, how did all of our problems come about? Because the first human couple decided to detune from their relationship with God. And we are reinfecting that choice over and over and over and over and over and over with our children, so-called children, our children, which are not our children, our gods. What happens to um, innocent babies when they die? They still have emotions passed on by the mothers? And remember I said yesterday that all emotions begin entering you at the time of conception. So any person who passes after the time of conception does have emotions. And, and some of those emotions can be quite dark because they come from your environment 
and the environment's emotions are often quite dark. But what happens when a child passes is a little different than what happens when when an adult person passes. And I would be happy to describe both processes if you wish. Okay, so this is what will happen when you pass. Let's look at the child first. So let's say the child is an abortion or a miscarriage. So in other words, it actually is passed before it is born. The child is picked up, in this case, by a celestial spirit generally, a spirit who's actually on the divine path, and nursed through until they actually start having cognizance of it, their environment. So the child, which remember is a soul connected to the two bodies, is nursed and also given lots of energy, emotional energy to heal itself. And what happens is it is nursed through the process into the process of cognizance, where it can actually understand its environment, start to understand its environment, just like a baby. In other words, it's nursed to the point of being a baby, if you like. Now, by this stage, which is usually a period of anywhere up to um, the same type of time that it would take on Earth for that process to occur, what happens is the child also can speak generally by this stage in the spirit world. And the child then is allowed to make a lot of choices on its own already. So it it starts making choices. And where it's located is in the first sphere of the spirit world. Remember I said there's all these spheres of the spirit world. The first sphere, the very first one, has thousands and thousands of planes. At the depth of the bottom of the planes is called the hells, which is a very dark, dingy, very terrible environment. At the top of the first sphere is a place called Summerland. And that is like probably the best environment you can conceive of on Earth here is like what Summerland is, right? with some additions. And the additions are a creation of what we talked about earlier with regard to schooling or education, a creation of environment that the child is actually triggered into desiring to have answers. And so the child is actually then at that location after that initial place of, after the initial nursing from, from an angelic spirit. And once the child is in that place, they begin to learn all the different things of the universe. A lot of it's physical, but a lot of it's spiritual and emotional as well. And they're allowed to choose what they deal with. If they have an emotion from their parents still within them, which is unusual by that stage from if they were pre, if they died before they were born, and they would actually still be nursed through those emotions. So they're nursed through those emotions in a very loving environment. And then they're basically left to have whatever they want, whatever those desires are. And by this stage, they usually have a few mates and, uh, you know, a few friends and they have their own environment set up and, uh, they, they progress quite, quite quickly, um, through that state. And then they're given a choice. A choice to follow the natural love path, which is a path of intellectual development, becoming adult-like, all those different things I mentioned yesterday, or the choice to actually follow the divine love path, which is connecting to God and all of that. Now, many of them make, the choices they make depend upon what forces start to control them at this point. Now, if they passed as a, uh, as a miscarriage, Many times by this stage, they will be starting to feel the emotions of the mother who, and father 
from which they miscarried. And so they will start to feel some of those impressions upon them as pushing them in a certain direction. And so often they might, you know, if the mother or father is into a different path spiritually, they might firstly start to investigate that particular path. But they're giving completely the free will to do whatever they wish at that point. Now let's say the person passes, but they're still a child, but they passed after their birth. They could be just newborn, and if that's, if that's the case, it'll be a very similar process to what I've just described. If they, if they are a, uh, not a newborn, but let's say they're four, five, six years of age, something like that, and they pass from leukemia or cancer or, or some kind of disease or some kind of accident, then what would happen is that they would still have emotions from their environment in them, but those emotions would be a bit stronger. Does that make sense? They'd be more powerful emotions. And so they would often be nursed through a process of releasing those emotions, which, by the way, in the spirit world, for a child of that age, happens very, very rapidly. So within a few months, usually, they're nursed through that entire process. Now they go to Summerland and the same process goes off where they're educated, they do what they desire, and the same thing happens. Does that make sense? So passing for children is a breeze. And it's a, it's a very beautiful process for them and they looked after the entire process. The only time when it's not so much of a breeze if there was an abortion. With an abortion, the child is kept away from its mother who aborted it. And the reason why this is the case is because the emotions in the mother that aborted the child were emotions of rejection of the child. And because those emotions of rejection are very powerful emotions to be felt on the opposite end as unworthiness, the, the, the child is usually kept from going back to its mother on earth until the mother works through the emotional reasons why they aborted that child. And then the child is often reintroduced to its mother. So that's the only time where it's a bit more difficult for the child because the child itself is getting the emotions of rejection from its parents on earth. And what happens is the celestial spirits try very hard to actually stop that emotional projection from entering the child so that, so the child doesn't grow up feeling unworthy. Right? And then I'll just continue the question with regard to an adult. With an adult, if we pass, it's a little different because as an adult, we made free will choices. So when we pass as an adult, Oftentimes what's happened is we're healed from the choices that were made by other people that affected us, but we are still going to have a whole group of unhealed emotions about the choices we made. And because of that, we go and are attracted to a location. So when we first pass, we often go into what is sort of, you see it in a lot of spiritual literature, where we pass into a place that's not, fantastic, but it's not terrible, and it's just like a place of reception. You could think of it, there are, there are whole hospitals there like that you could conceive of on Earth. They're a bit different in terms of how they look and everything, but they're basically hospitals to help you get through that first part of transition. And particularly if you're passed with an injury or a, or a long-term illness like cancer, you would be nursed through that. The body would be repaired from that particular problem. And then what happens once we get to the state where we feel our own sense of autonomy, in other words, we're feeling our own free will to go and do things that we want to do, generally we're shown a mirror. And by this stage, generally, we probably don't want to even look in the mirror. 
because we start seeing other people where we've gone to and we start seeing that they are in pretty bad shape and so we can imagine that if they are in bad shape and it just seems like almost everyone who comes through here is in bad shape, that possibly means that when I look in the mirror I'm going to be as in bad shape as they are and fair enough, usually by the time we get to look in the mirror, sure enough, we, we start seeing ourselves for what we really are. But at this stage we don't understand that it's the emotions that created that. So we don't understand much at all and we, we only understand what we're asked. So if you ask about it, you'll be told. But if you don't ask, often you're not told because everything is based upon the law of desire. So anyway, I pass, I've gone into this state, I now recognise where I am and I'm in a pretty dark state and what happens is my soul now feels a draw of attraction to not be there anymore and I actually go to a location in the spirit world that perfectly matches my condition of love. So if I'm a murderer and I've passed, obviously my condition of love isn't going to be too great and the soul will be attracted to a condition in one of the hells that matches my condition of love. By the way, where do you think all the other murderers are? In the same place. So now instead of being surrounded by people who are nice and I'm the murderer, I'm surrounded by all the murderers. Does that make sense? And that's a way of exposing to me my condition. Now, let's say I was a person on earth who, you know, had a lot of sexual affairs, you know, over and over and over again, and I haven't worked through that emotion. Well, I'll be attracted to a group of people in the spirit world who have done the same thing. And that'll be in one of the hills in a different location. And there's literally millions of locations for every single single emotional injury you could conceive of. I'd, if I'm in a bit better condition, I've worked through different things on earth, then I'll pass wherever, whatever sphere matches my location. So, so matches my development in love. So if I'm highly developed in love when I pass, then I'll be in a space that's in, not in the hells, it might be even in the second sphere or the third sphere of the spirit world. Historically, there's been only a few people ever that's passed into the third sphere of the spirit world. About um, people who commit suicide, is there any consequences for that? Yes, a person who commits suicide is is acting on two primary emotions. And after I answer this question, we should have a break, and then we can come back to your question, Peter, if we, after the break. The 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 um, two sets of emotions are these. The person who's suicide, firstly, has a whole set of emotions about self-love. And self-love in itself is a huge issue on the planet, right? And self-love is one of the major causes or major reasons why the majority of people do not pass into the second sphere, but rather pass into the first sphere, because of our lack of self-love, the way that we treat ourselves. Now, the suicide, usually suicides, for again, there literally can be thousands of different reasons. And whatever the reason is will, de will determine, be determined by the soul condition of the person and that will also determine the location that they arrive in the spirit world. But a suicide, because they have murdered their own body, will always arrive in a state in the spirit world in one of the darker places of the spirit world. Then what they will need to do is come to face to face to the fact of two issues that they face inside of themselves. The first one is why they felt they had the right to destroy their body. And the second one is 
what emotion or reason inside of them caused them to suicide. And they will have to face that emotion. Now, one of the main reasons why people suicide is because they don't want to face the emotion when they're alive. Does that make sense? They feel if they kill themselves, they won't have to feel the terrible feelings they're currently feeling. And that is not true. When they pass, they will have to feel the terrible feelings that they avoided when they were on earth just before they passed, and they'll have to feel one more terrible feeling, and that is the feeling that they murdered themselves and didn't have the right to do so. And when I say the right, I don't mean they've got free will, they can do anything they want. What I mean is they will go through an emotion where they realise that the body that they had wasn't theirs to take away from themselves. It was created by God, just as their soul is, and and of course it's impossible in the end to kill their soul. So in the end, the biggest emotions that a suicide faces is that they don't is the same emotion that they faced when they were alive and didn't want to face it. And the biggest impediment to their progress in the spirit world is that they often still do not want to face the emotion when they pass the same emotion that caused them to pass. And so for that reason, until they connect emotionally, they don't progress. As soon as they connect emotionally, they progress very rapidly generally. Right? So again, it gets back to when you connect with the emotions and work your way through the issues. Wanted to say more? I just wanted to say that um, many of us have similar emotions even though we don't take our own life. We exactly. spend our whole life um, doing things that actually damage our physical body and in avoidance of our emotions. Yeah. So let's look at the emotions related to smoking, which is a slow suicide, right? So I'm now smoking. I'm paying somebody else, in fact, when you think about it logically, I'm paying someone else to slowly destroy my body and I'm a willing participant in that process. So there has to be emotional reasons that are very close to a suicidal person's reasons for doing that. Does that make sense? So many of us have emotions of suicide in us, we just don't act upon them. And when we pass, those emotions will be just as present in us as they were before we passed. So it always gets back to this one rule. Be open to passionately experience all of your own emotions, no matter what they are. And if you do that, you will always progress no matter what happened. So a suicide has just as much ability to progress as anyone else, but often can't because they have the same avoidance of as what caused them to suicide in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we can help them here on earth a lot to work their way through those kind of emotions. And a lot of the ways we can do that is by dealing with our own emotions and showing them how to deal with theirs. It's very important to understand that all of these things are based around the laws of God that is the most loving way to actually help that person get out of that emotion. So remember, as Mary was showing earlier, the law of attraction pulls something into our life so that we deal with an emotion that will get us closer to God in the end. So let ourselves experience that. Does that make sense? Let ourselves do that. Anyway, let's have a break. And uh, just while we're on the subject, myself and Mary would love to thank you for your donations that you've given today and yesterday as well. Um, we actually live off those donations, so that's the only way in which we live. That's our only source of income. Okay, um, 
I was going to hand across to Peter, I think, because he was uh, patiently holding his hand up uh, just before the group, before we broke. So let's do that. Thanks, AJ. AJ, this is regarding abortion. There's, it's a threefold question. Yep. Um, one of them is the. Uh, I've seen uh, videos of abortions where the uh, fetus has been torn to shreds by a suction device. The physical effect on that on that form on the spirit. What is there any residual when that spirit actually uh, transcends uh, the physical form? Um, the fetus feels pain. Um, so the intensity of the pain will depend upon the uh, generally and there, there's a difference between intensity of pain and the duration of pain. So, so the problem with uh, any abortion, of course, is the fetus is going to feel pain associated with the abortion. Now, the pain is twofold. The pain is firstly the physical pain, which will be either short and intense or quite a bit longer and drawn out depending on whether abortion has occurred through chemical means or through physical means. When the, the, and when the pain, the, there is um, spirits who actually help the fetus, so, the soul and the spirit body of the fetus go out of body. So what they do, and this is no justification, by the way, for abortion, but what they do is they nurse the child through the painful experience by helping the child be out of body and not feel all of the feelings associated with the physical pain itself. Because the spirits who do that um, know the intention of the parent, so therefore they surround. So abortion clinics are actually surrounded by spirits who are trying to nurse children through this process of transition, which is quite painful. The second question, and, and by the way, these questions, a lot of these questions that you've been asking me about abortions, and there's been quite a few of them even privately, uh, are prompted by also some spirits who want to know about these answers, so I want to give fairly concise answers. Um, the second part of the pain that they feel is the emotional pain. Now, the emotional pain begins that the, the moment that the parents feel an emotion that they're going to go ahead with this. Up until that time, what happens is that there is usually an oscillation of emotion in the, in the mother particularly, but also in both parents. So you'll get an oscillation of emotion of, oh, yes, I think I should do it. No, I, I don't think I should because I feel guilt. And yes, I think I should. And no, I don't. And eventually, as with any doubt emotion, which is a painful experience for any person to go through, you eventually settle on one side or the other. So one side is keep the child, the other side is abort the child. When you settle on abort the child, the child instantly from that moment on is starting to feel emotions of rejection. And uh, in fact, uh, many people have the effect of having a miscarriage at that point because the child actually can feel the emotion of rejection. So, so some people actually have the physical feelings of not wanting the child and the child actually miscarriages because of that emotion. Now those emotions pass into the child. So you've got this instant in, intense or, or drawn out, depending on what kind of means were used to abort the child, uh, coming in as sensory input into the soul of the child. And then you've also got the emotional response of the child, uh, which is uh, actually more painful to the child and of longer duration generally. Now what happens is the, the, the a nursing spirit, if we can call them that, which is usually a celestial spirit who is assigned by God to nurse that particular child, 
will actually try to prevent the child from experiencing a lot of the physical pain associated with it, but the, the nursing spirit will allow the child to experience their emotional pain. So what happens is the child does a lot of crying initially in the spirit world after that first initial process of abortion occurs. So the spirit, celestial spirit's there nursing this child and through this process of emotional pain of rejection. Then the spirit gives all of the love that the spirit is able to give and that actually regenerates the child and allows the child to have an emotion inside of it of uh, self-awareness regarding its own identity and also allows the child to experience a feeling of self-worth. So the child then gains a feeling of self-worth. But in order to actually allow that process to continue, which may take many months, the, the nursing spirit um, prevents the child from visiting the parent. And it actually prevents... I don't know if you're aware, but whenever you have an emotion for somebody, for whatever reason, whether it's a, a love-based emotion or, or a, an unloving emotion, there is an emotional hook that goes out of you to... And it's like a stream of energy that goes out of you to the other person. And so if you're a mother who's aborted or your father or mother is aborted and you still have the emotions that I've done the right thing and so forth, there's this emotional energy going out towards the child. And what the caring spirit does is cut that energy off from ever receiving the child, being received by the child. So the child doesn't get those emotions. And that way the child is allowed to go through this process of actually having some self-worth and growing up with self-worth. Now what happens a lot of times is a mother, uh, a lot of times, or both the mother and father, at some point in the future recognise the, the choices that they've done and they go through these emotions of, wow, I realise now that I've done the wrong thing in this particular situation. The key is to look at... Uh, I mentioned this earlier to somebody, but I think I'll write it on the board... Um, in terms of what kind of emotions uh, to go through. There's usually a whole group of two separate sets of emotions. There's the, there's the reasons, and I'll put the word reasons in quotations, because really they are the justifications of why the abortion took place. My suggestion is if you have had an abortion, write down all the reasons why at the time you felt you needed to do that. Does that make sense? All the reasons why. Both parents, not just the mother, because this is there something that's attributable to both parents. All the reasons why. In the reasons why, if we refer to all those reasons, they are your fears. Does that make sense? The reasons that you're listing, so the reasons why you did the abortion, when you list them all, they are all your fears. And to be frank with you, those fears were great enough to create the destruction of life. Were great enough to cause you to destroy life. So they're pretty big fears. Does that make sense? Now, those fears are pretty big fears and they cover grief inside of you, some, some causal grief inside of you from your own childhood. Do you follow me? From your own life. And the key is to allow yourself to firstly identify the fears 
and then allow yourself to feel the grief of those causal emotional reasons why you justify the destroying of life. You only justify the destruction of something through a fear. Now that's one set of things to do. So that's one group of emotions. There's a whole other group of emotions you're also going to have to work through uh, with regard to abortion. And that is, you will have an emotion generally of guilt. G-U-I-L-T, guilt. Guilt. Now, an emotion of guilt is a pointless emotion to experience. When I say pointless, it is your way of getting out of other deeper emotions. Alright? Now, let's see what you're getting out of with this guilt. There is actually a process that goes on in your soul when you do something disharmonious with love. And this is anything disharmonious with love, by the way. This process happens, but it happens a lot when we do big things disharmonious with love more than when we do little things disharmonious with love. And that is we have this law that comes into operation called the law of compensation. You probably have heard of it as the law of karma. What you sow, you reap. It is actually a law that causes a consequence to be placed upon your soul for actions that you took that were disharmonious with love. Whether you are sensitive to them or not, sometime in the future you will feel them. Now, for most people, they don't feel them when they're on earth. So what they do is they you know, go through life trying to ignore it. And you know how you have these little thoughts pop up. Oh, the abortion pops up in my mind. Oh, suppress that back again and we're off with life again, right? That's how most people react to these kind of events. Does that make sense? So another thought pop up, oh, I treated that person badly. Oh, suppress that one, you know, go on, <laughs> you know, with my life. Another thought pops up, oh, you know, I harmed my children. Then. Oh, forget about that, I try it, my best, you know, and I go on with my life like that. This is how we finish up acting in our life generally, is these little thoughts pop up. Those little thoughts are the beginning of our awakening to the law of compensation. Now, whether you're here or whether you're in the spirit world, you are going to have to experience the results of every single action you took. Now, most of us don't do that here because we ignore the results of most of the actions we took. So what we need to do is come to allow the results to hit us in their full emotional force. Remember, this is an emotional process that's going to hit us in their full emotional force. So I'll go through feelings of you know, shame and then probably deeper feelings, and I'll actually grieve what I did. I will go into a state of grieving, which is actually a state of repentance. Uh, A-N-C-E. Right, we go into a state of repentance. And in that state of repentance, we are now grieving what we did. We are coming to a full knowledge emotionally of the things we've done to harm others. Now, in that state, that is a beautiful time to call upon God. Because there's an emotion in response that if you call upon God and you long to God, there's an emotion that God gives in response to your repentance. And that emotion is this misused term, grace or mercy. 
So rather than actually, rather than you now having to experience the full results of the law of compensation, because you're in a state of repentance, because you're feeling the emotion of repentance, God, through this mechanism of longing for her love, will give you mercy or grace, and you'll feel a feeling of peace overcome you about the situation. And in fact, when you feel that feeling of peace overcome you about the situation, you will know in your heart that you have forgiven yourself for the particular issue that you faced. And you've done it emotionally, by the way. This is not an intellectual process. It's an emotional process where you forgive yourself. You've now forgiven yourself for what is done because you can feel God's forgiveness work through you, through this action of repentance. This is, by the way, one of the highest laws of the universe, believe it or not. When you, when you enact this repentance from, a heart, from the heart, you call into being a high law that actually overcomes the law of compensation. And what this law does, this is the law of mercy or grace, or you could think of it the law of divine love, which is the biggest laws of the universe. What it happens is through that law, God then actually helps take away from you the underlying pain of the results of your actions. Now, if that didn't occur, you would have to experience exactly the pain you created. Now, imagine if we're talking about an abortion. I just described some of the pains that an aborted child goes through. If you don't go through the process of repentance, you will have to go through the process of law of compensation. And the process of the law of compensation is exactly what you have dealt out is what will be dealt to you in pain. Does that make sense? That's one of the laws of the universe. But the law of grace or mercy, which is invoked through the law of repentance, overcomes the law of compensation. So as long as you're willing to go through that process, you can very rapidly deal with this problem or this problem of what we've done that's disharmonious with love. When we go through that, we'll come out the other side feeling a sense of peace. You'll be able to talk freely with anyone about that particular issue without crying. Right? And you'll be able to actually mention it in public without feeling ashamed when you fully process yourself through that emotion and feel the foot repentance fully. And this is how many spirits who are now in the celestial world can come to you and tell you all the bad things they did while they were on earth and know that they've been forgiven for all of those things. Does that make sense? So with regard to abortion, it's the same process as the regard to anything else that we've really done harmful in our life. You see... Everything we've done harmful in our life, we had our reasons at the time, which were really, in the end, just justifications. We always had a reason why. If we list those reasons why, they will tell us our fears. Can you see it's the same pattern? They will tell us our fears. Our fear was we were willing to, instead of destroy life, break, destroy life, we were willing to break love because of our fears. And we will need to feel some grief about those things. Right? When we feel the grief, and remember the grief is regarding the causal reason why we did those things, they are released from us. We will have guilt about everything that we've done that broke love because that's an automatic 
reaction to the soul. The law of compensation kicks into effect every time we do something disharmonious with love, whether it's natural love or divine love, doesn't matter. The law of compensation will kick into effect. We have the choice of feeling the full effects of the law of compensation or we can go into a state of repentance. The state of repentance is this deep heartfelt sorrow and desire to deal with the underlying causal emotional reason why I did what I did. When we do that and we ask God for grace and mercy, the underlying reason will be lifted from us, you'll feel a sense of peace and calm overcome you and you'll be able to speak about these events without any fear, without any sadness, without any shame, without any terror, without any guilt. Does that make sense? Exactly the same process for everything we do that is disharmonious with God's love. So I wanted to go through that with you because um, this is a part of how divine love works, if you like. And what a lot of the spirits in the spirit world don't understand is these laws. You see, they understand the law of compensation. In the spirit world, it's called the law of karma a lot, right? They understand that law a lot. And they feel the effects of what you sow, you reap. There's a saying in the spirit world that the wheels of God, of God grind very closely. You know, like you know, when you're grinding flour, if you've ever seen a flour mill, you know, you get a seed and a seed and it gets grown and ground, ground, and then it goes into a powder. That's what God's laws are like. They're going to grind every error out of you. Right? One way or the other. My suggestion is be wholly involved in the process and it will be the shortest possible process for you. If you're not wholly involved in the process, the law of compensation, the law of attraction, the law of cause and effect, and all these other laws will kick into play, and it will be a slow, long-winded, painful process for you. It's up to you. The laws of God grind and grind and grind. God has cleverly constructed her universe. Right? It's not like man, you know. You go along to man, you know, you... you you go along and say, ah, oh, but you're on it. You know, I did it because I was crazy at the time. Right? It's not like that. It's not like that with God. You can't do things like that with God. God knows what you did and what you were feeling at the time. You can't get away with it. None of God's laws let you get away with anything unless there is repentance, unless there is this feeling. Now, you can see that that is a very, very similar teaching to a lot of Christian teachings, right? For any of you who have been in a Christian religion. Yes, of course, you know, like, that's why it's called Christian, based on Christ, and I was the first Christ, so therefore, you know, a lot of the things I say will sound Christian. Sorry about that, you know. But that's what you get, talking to Jesus. The truth is, the truth is that this is a big law of the universe, that it's really important for you to understand. And if you understand it, you can work through emotions much more rapidly when you understand that particular law. So if we can have Mary's comment and then we'll have someone up the back with a mic. I just wanted to... I, I, don't, I haven't been in a Christian faith, yep. but um, I wanted to make the point that this repentance is a very emotional place. Yeah. It's not something... Um, it's not like I deathbed have, repentance. Yeah, I have tried to be repentant, but it's a very different place to actually feeling true repentance. Yeah, perhaps you can explain the difference between trying to be and feeling it. Can you think of any examples? 
I've thought it, yeah. Um, there's been lots of times where I've uh, felt like I'm really sorry and I want to say sorry and I'm crying and oh, I never want to do it and I feel ashamed of what I've done. And then the um, next time an event comes and up, then, what happened? I uh, just did it again. Just got angry or just, you know, cut someone off or, or whatever. And then I felt shame. And, and this is why guilt is such a um, powerful avoidance emotion because it wasn't letting me get deeper mm-hmm. to to the actual reasons why I was taking these actions. Yeah. When I did that, I actually felt um, I really connected to what it was I was avoiding through trying to control or trying to – so I felt the reason why I was actually – taking the action, getting angry, for example. Mm-hmm. And I felt – so I felt that I really connected with that and felt grief about that, but I also felt a, a very deep longing towards God of a really – please take this away from my soul so I, uh, it's not so within me anymore. Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can everyone see that you can say sorry as much as you like, but if you do it again, you weren't sorry in the first place. Right? So, you know, you see this a lot in a relationship, for example – the man cheats on the wife, says he's sorry, cries, does all these other things, you know, and, and she thinks, oh, he seems like he's sorry. You know, six months later, he's cheating again. Like, was he sorry? No. What is real sorrow? Real sorrow is connecting to the causal emotional reason why you did what you did. That's real sorrow. A very important thing to understand, if, particularly in a relationship, because if... If you're wanting to get back with a partner who's harmed you in some way, like let's say we've got an abusive situation with a partner where the partner's maybe, you know, yelling and screaming at you all the time or maybe even hurting you, like physically hurting you all the time. Unless that person who's doing that deals with the underlying causal emotional reason why they do what they do, they are going to do it again. Guaranteed. If we deal with the underlying causal reason why we do it, we will not ever be able to do it again. It will be so abhorrent for us to even consider doing it again emotionally that we would never be able to do it again. Does that make sense? And that's not a fear of it. You get to a point where you just cannot do it. You say more. Uh, it was, yeah. No, it was just uh, you were explaining that process in, with regards to abortion. Yep. And I just wanted to make the point that once the parents reach this place of repentance, then the um, the their children, child, yep. the child that's been aborted, can actually then have a relationship with them. Yeah. 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 You see, the reason why is that a child can reconnect, or to be honest, anybody can reconnect with a person who's repentant. So it doesn't matter what's happened in your life, but if a person's repentant, they're never going to do that same thing again to you. And so every single person on this planet, every single person in the spirit world can reconnect to people who have harmed them, tortured them, abused them, and all sorts of things, as long as the person who was the perpetrator is completely repentant and they've dealt with the underlying causal emotion. So you understand that when you deal with the underlying causal emotion, it creates an amazing draw back to a pure relationship with the person. And this is a particular the case with an abortion. So the child who's aborted feels a draw back to mummy and daddy when mummy and daddy are repentant for the reasons why they did what they did. And the, the, the nursing spirit, if the child's still quite young, will allow that process to occur under those circumstances because that's in harmony with God's laws. What I wanted to ask, AJ, with that example that you've put on the board, mm-hmm. 
You talked about listing the reasons why. Aren't I going to be in my intellect if I do that rather than actually in the emotion? Yeah, but see, your justifications are always based on emotional reasons. So your intellectual justifications always have an emotional cause. So someone mentioned to me in a break that one of their justifications was at the time was this justification that I won't have enough money to care for our child. Right? So that was an, a justification. There's a deep emotional reason in that justification. Lack of abundance or worry that God's not going to provide. All sorts of emotional reasons might be in that justification. And this is why I say start with your justifications if you're having trouble getting to your fears and your grief. Because if you start with them, you'll be able to easily identify what the underlying fears are for those justifications. Remember, every emotional justification you have is based on a fear that you have of something occurring. So it's great if you can list them. So, for example, my justification, for example, for not doing bigger groups, right, is that I, I feel that I'm not ready for doing bigger groups. Does that make sense? That's my justification. But actually, it's an avoidance. The real fear is that in, when I'm in a bigger group, I will get more projections of, uh, of condescension, more projections of judgment, more projections of unworthiness and so forth that I don't want to feel. That's my fear. Does that make sense? So you will find these things in every single thing you do. Many of you feel like a pull to teaching people whatever you've learned. And then you tell yourself a justification, which is, ah, oh, you know, I don't like big crowds. That's a justification. That covers the fear. What's the fear? Fear of big crowds is something to do with how you'll be treated in a big crowd, how you'll be looked upon, how you'll be judged, and so forth. Work your way through that, and then step underneath. Does that make sense? We can go over there with a the mic. Uh, Thank you, AJ. Forgiveness. There's a lot of talk of forgiveness, mm -hmm. disempowering the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. How does that fit in with repentance? You were saying when you repent, the other person, is that automatic forgiveness then because you've repented or does it need? No, forgiveness isn't something you do for yourself, not for the other person, for a start. Let's look at forgiveness. Forgiveness is a part of a lot of our understandings about God and it's something very important. I've talked about forgiveness in the past for three or four hours at a time, so there is stuff, some stuff on the net about forgiveness already that you can listen to. But here's a general summary. What does God do? The instant you break one of God's laws of love, you are forgiven. God doesn't demand it of you, anything of you. God doesn't even demand that you're sorry. God still forgives you. Now, you might not forgive yourself, or you may. A lot of times we think we've forgiven ourselves, but in reality all we've done is justified our actions. That's not forgiveness. Right? But from God's perspective, God forgives every single action. So if a murderer comes along and murders your family, God will forgive them instant, the instant that it happened. But there is this law of compensation. And the law of compensation is what you sow, you reap, Law of compensation is there's going to be an effect for every action you take. So therefore, even though God's forgiven you, there is a consequence of the laws you've broken. And they will have to be, those consequences 
will have to be paid by your soul, basically. Now let's look at that in the sense of a relationship. Let's say a parent-child relationship where the father abused the daughter. If the father abuses the daughter, the daughter needs to get to a state of forgiveness before she can move on from that damage. And it's not an intellectual pace. It's not, I've heard so many people come up to me and say, look, I've been abused as a child, but I've forgiven my dad now. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, but you haven't yet, actually. Because to forgive someone completely, you've got to actually feel the underlying emotions they created through their interaction with you, inside of you. And you need to feel them and release them. And then you've forgiven them. So when you forgive them, what happens is this. When you forgive them, there is an automatic feeling inside of you now that you can love them even though they did those things. Now you think with some pretty hard actions like abuse, for example, that's going to take a bit of effort in your part, isn't it? To work your way through the process of forgiveness. Now forgiveness, what that does is a number of things for yourself. What it does is it allows you now to no longer have any emotional response to the action they took towards you. Now, I'm not saying you manufacture that state. It's got to be a real state in you that you no longer have any emotional response to the action someone took took towards you. When you're in that state and you forgive... From that moment, you can move forward on that issue. It is no longer an issue tying up your life and, ch- and, doing, and changing your life. But you know what happens on earth and in the spirit world a lot. We only forgive if someone's sorry, and even then we have a hard time, right? But let's say we wait to forgive until somebody is truly repentant. The problem with that is this. If I wait until a murderer who murdered my family is sorry for what he did to my family, I am going to be waiting a long time, which actually locks my own relationship up with God and my family by the event. Because remember, my family is now in the spirit world and I could still be having a relationship with them that is perfectly loving. So what happens is this. When I decide to not forgive, what I'm doing is I'm now basically basing my entire spiritual progression on the other person coming to a realisation of what they did. Now, do you think if you're a murderer, you're going to easily come to a realisation of what you did as wrong? Well, if if you were going to easily come to it, you wouldn't even word it in the first place, probably, would you? Can you see that? So if you lock your life up waiting for the people who hurt you to be sorry, you will not ever be at one with God and you'll never experience the beautiful emotions that come in that state. You won't experience the freedom that comes from forgiving yourself, you know, forgiving them and forgiving yourself. So my suggestion is to allow yourself... Now, there's been long discussions that I have about forgiveness and how it takes place and we just did one recently I think didn't we so that's on the net and you can download that and have a listen to that so there's whole discussions about forgiveness and repentance and interactions and so forth and love and self-love all in that discussion so my suggestion to have a look at that but in summary 
if a person doesn't forgive, they are basically locking up their own spiritual progression and their own bliss. You are just harming yourself. And uh, I've talked to many spirits who are in this state. We, uh, we had a group of slave spirits come to us once and their slave owners, this was in Barbados, and their slave owners, this was like 300, 400 years ago that they had been in this state. They were still in the hells of the first sphere. The spirits who were tortured by the slave owners were in the hells. The slave owners were in the hells deeper again. But the spirits who were tortured by the slave owners were still in the hells and they didn't understand why. When we talked to them, I started helping them connect to the emotions they had towards the slave owners, which were emotions of rage and, and they just want, they wanted to do to the slave owners what the slave owners did to them. Right? They wanted to punish the slave owners by doing exactly the same things. We actually helped them with a few spirits, helped them go to the slave owners and where they were to look at their condition. And they came back and said, I'm glad they're in that condition. So they were really, really angry. They were full of rage. What we did was we connected them to their rage and started telling them that that's why they are where they were because they were still in the rage and they hadn't forgiven. Now, as soon as they connected that, they asked, what about how do I forgive? I said, all you need to do is feel the grief you felt having these things done to you. And as soon as I said that, lots and lots of them started to go into their memories about the damage that was done to them and instead of being in a rage about them just allowed their grief to just flow out of them and then I asked them to just long to God for God's love to come to them and every single one of them every single one of them moved from the first sphere to the second sphere in that one transaction just by doing that once now those ones are now quite high up in the spirit world. This was two years ago that this happened because they've learnt some of the other lessons of divine love in the process and are now progressing on the divine love path. But understand that what was holding them there for 300 or so years was their state of rage and anger towards the perpetrator. And so it's a very powerful thing to give up rage and anger towards perpetrators. It does not mean you'll allow them back in your life until they are repentant. Because when they are repentant, they will never be able to hurt you again. Their soul wouldn't allow it. I was just wondering if I could just go back to that abortion where mm -hmm. you were talking about um, the forgiveness with the, both parents. Yep. Um, how does that um, how's that situation with rape? Um, with rape, obviously um, there are a number of things going on with rape. Um, of course, the person who's the rapist needs to go through this process. <laughs> okay? Anyway, let's have a look at rape. Now, please don't think then in all of these discussions about the law of attraction that I'm actually justifying the sin. Remember I said the sin is the missing the mark of God's love. Remember I said that? The sin, what the sin is, is when I do something disharmonious with 
the way God would do it. That's basically the sin. So the rapist is sinning, is he not? He is doing something that if he was in harmony with God's love, he would never be able to do. So that's the important thing to understand, is that everything that's done in disharmony with love is something that we would never be able to do if we were harmonious with love. And there is an automatic law of compensation effect on that particular person. So if I'm a rapist and I, and I haven't dealt with the emotions that caused me to rape on the earth, in the spirit world, once I work my way through it, there would be a whole group of emotions I would need to deal with. Does that make sense? In the spirit world. Now, let's look at the rape in the sense of what's actually happening. There's one soul on earth who's, let's say it's the male, perpetrator. Right? He's the perpetrator of the rape. He has a group of emotions. Passions, desires, that have been distorted through the error beliefs that have entered him emotionally from his childhood. Right. Then we have the, in this case we'll say, the soul of the female victim. Shall we call her a victim at this stage? Right? The victim of the crime. She has a set of emotions, passions, desires, and many of those emotions and passions and desires are also influenced by error, right? which causes her law of attraction. Remember, it's our soul condition that causes our law of attraction. This male, due to these emotions, believes in his heart, he feels emotionally that, caught, that actually raping a woman is a justifiable thing to do. That's what he believes. He wouldn't do it if he didn't believe it. So he believes, because of the group of emotions in him, that it's justifiable to actually have sex with a woman against her will. So he has quite a lot of emotional damage, doesn't he? He doesn't believe in the law of free will, for example, does he? Because if he did, he couldn't do that. He obviously has these emotional damages. If he's, if he's going to rape a female, these emotional errors are related to his mother in particular or women figures in his life, in his childhood. Does that make sense? Now, this female may have certain emotional errors, errors in her regarding men in her life that cause this male who is now in such a state emotionally that he is looking for the woman he can rape on a daily basis, really. He's, and as soon as he feels it, and usually, of course, there is a whole group of spirits connected with this now. His law of attraction is now we've got spirits surrounding him, male spirits who are surrounding him, who also have this same belief. And by the way, there are literally millions of those in the spirit world who believe rape is justifiable. Still in the spirit world, in the hells of the spirit world, in dark places. So he, they look for a man who has the set of emotions that has the same kind of set of emotions they have towards women. Can you see that? 
So there's a law of attraction going on here, which heightens his emotions. And he now, with their help, is looking for a woman and a situation by which they can harm the woman and rape her. So he goes ahead, and once he finds that woman, who has a certain set of emotional conditions in her, by the way, I'm not blaming her for that. He's the perpetrator here. He's the one acting disharmonious with love here, right? When as he finds her, he will rape her, for certain. Now, what has to happen to fix it is probably the question. Well, one thing that can help the woman fix it, if she's been raped, is to actually deal with the underlying emotional things within her that causes these spirits to identify her as a potential choice to be raped. And in there, there will be some fears that she have about men. And many of those fears will have come from her childhood. Does that make sense? And in, this is why many women who are raped have also had some sexual abuse in their childhood from men. Because there is a correlation between those two events that created fear in her and other emotions that she's yet to release. So she can actually work her way through the causal emotions that created the attraction. She can release that within herself and work through those emotions. And they will be related not only just to the event now, which would be a very damaging event, but also the underlying emotions. I'm talking about the childhood emotions. She needs to allow herself to actually deal with an experience. When she deals with an experience, that experience, she will no longer feel anger, resentment or anything else towards men generally or towards even the man who raped her. Now, my soulmate in the first century experienced many rapes. So Mary has the experience of having to work her way through those sets of emotions. Now the man, he passes in a very, very terrible condition or if he's on the earth, he's in a very terrible condition. And uh, he, the only way we're going to be able to help him is for, to connect him to these emotions inside of him about his mother and about women in his life and how angry he feels and powerless he feels around women and so forth. He needs to connect with a lot of powerless emotions and grieving emotions around women. And he will need to work through every one of those emotions plus all of the emotions related to damaging the law of free will plus all of the pain that he created in the woman, plus all of those things. He's going to need to work through every one of those things emotionally. He can do that with God or he can do it using the law of compensation. Many of them don't do it with God for a long time. So they pass into the spirit world and for many hundreds and sometimes thousands of years they remain in that state until they actually begin doing it with God. Is there any more you want to know about that particular scenario? Any questions? It was about the abortion from the rape. All right, well, let's, said, look, let's go to this person now having a child. And you said that um, to clear it, you had to, the both people had to clear it. But Well, no, in this situation, he would have all of his emotions, which, by the way, are going to be terribly difficult and long-winded to deal with, but he won't have to deal with the fact that she had an abortion because that was her choice. She will need to deal with the fact that she had an abortion. And so she will need to work through the emotional fears just in the way that I've just ex explained in the previous set. 
And that will be a fear, you know, a fear that every time she looks at this child, all she remembers is the event. That's the primary reason why this lady would have an abortion. Does that make sense? The primary reason she'd have an abortion is because she's worried that every time she looks at the child, she would remember the event. She doesn't want to remember the event. So the key for her is to allow herself, because she's going to need to allow herself to remember the event, to deal with all the emotions of the event, and then connect with the underlying emotions too within herself, and what's going on for herself in that particular situation. She will need to look at this issue of aborting a child. But she will, again, it will be through the fear of every... It's the fear of her own emotion in the end, isn't it, that caused her to abort the child, really, in the end? The fear that every time she looks at the child, all she'll see is the event or the perpetrator. If she deals with her emotions causally, which is difficult, but can it, it can be done, and, and many, many... Obviously, there's been many hundreds of millions, billions of women who have been raped historically. Right? And, there, and so there is lots of women in the spirit world that have dealt with these emotions. And all of them know that you can deal with these emotions. By the way, the same applies if a male has been raped, but that's not as, pop, not as a common occurrence because the male has a physical body that's stronger generally. But can you see there's always these relationships between what's going on? Now, of course... From God's perspective, her, her causal emotions for aborting this child are a lot different to a couple in a loving relationship deciding to abort the child. Do you see what I'm saying? The couple in the loving relationship who decide to abort the child will have more emotions to work through about the abortion than this lady would. Can you see why? Because it, it was all imposed, you know. There's a lot of things going on in this compared to the to, to the couple who's in the loving relationship. So, so, and and the truth is that God knows every single thing right down to the bone of it. I don't, right? And so, all I'm doing is presenting to you scenarios that I've observed in my life of different people who've had to go through these emotions. God knows each individual circumstance and situation and the individual emotions involved with every single thing. And this is why your relationship with God is of paramount importance. Because it's through that relationship everything can be healed in the most easy, most, the, the most easy ways compared to doing it all yourself. I'm just wondering, say um, it was a rape situation and there was no abortion, the child was born, mm -hmm. does that child take on the soul injuries from the father and the mother? Yes. As, so that child would then have to work through all the, the father's... Well, because the father was just there in an instant, uh, it was only the instant he was present, if conception occurred, that, they, that the emotional injury would come from the father. Does that make sense? So in comparison to the emotional injuries that would come from the mother, there's a fair wide difference between the two states. So the majority of the child's emotional injuries would come from the mother and its environment. But it, it would be far better if the mother could allow the child to be born and even have the child give up for adoption rather than actually terminate the child for her soul condition. Um, the other problem we have nowadays on earth is that we judge people terribly when mothers give up children. 
right? We have this terrible judgment towards a mother giving up a child. But whose child is it again? God's child. Yeah, that's right. See, if we keep that in mind, we will no longer stop, we will stop judging mothers and start looking at this child needed giving the best possible care that we can give it. Does that make sense? So we'll stop judging the mother, we will start actually looking at how we can help this child be loved. And if the mother says to us, I'm not capable of loving it, and then two years later says, now I am, I'd be perfectly happy with that. I, you know, I wouldn't ask them to sign away their life, giving away their child, and then two years later when they feel sorry that they've done that, come back and I say to them, I'm sorry now, you can't have your child, you're like, oh, it's my child now. Now, if we all had the viewpoint that this wasn't our child, would we ever get into a situation like that? No, we wouldn't, you see. I would, I would actually say to them, by all means, you know, look after your child. Have you dealt with some of these emotions, though? Because they're going to affect your child. Do you know what I mean? So, so the truth is, with everything, is to allow yourself to deal with the emotion. In the case of uh, the child being born, then obviously, yes, the mum's emotion will affect the child. So it would be very, very good if the mum's emotions could be dealt with even during her pregnancy because that will help her a lot to, you know, that helps the child. Don't feel that you're harming your child dealing with a causal emotion during your pregnancy. You're actually harming your child when you suppress your causal emotions during your pregnancy. Because remember when you suppress all of your emotions, that's when the majority of the emotions fly out to the universe. It's when you own your emotions completely, now less of your emotions are flying out to the universe doing harm to everyone else. So the more you deal within yourself, the less damage there is to, to others. Go Can ahead. I just ask another question? Um, just based on ancestral trauma, you know, things get passed down on a physical level, say like a disease or a... Yep. You know, and I know you've talked about spirit attachments that have been with generational families for, you know, like diabetes and things like that. Yep. Because um, in my line of work, I, I do a lot of healing work with ancestral, releasing ancestral trauma. And yep. so when I'm going into the conception point and seeing the mother, I can actually go in and see the mother's trauma and the father's trauma. Yep. Or feel it. Why not see it? Feel it. Yep. And so as I'm going through and sharing with the client all the things that come up, mm-hmm. they're going, oh my God, that's my life. I've lived that out. I've lived that out. And that's, that's manifesting. So as we're clearing it, <laughs> Can you clear it and then have them actually have the consciousness that that's there and then release the emotion? Not for them, but... So I guess what I'm trying to say, does the client have to literally go through every single emotion that they've taken on the parent or is it just enough to just have the consciousness and feel it on the table and then that's released or is it... No, okay. No. Um, However, remember the principles of grace apply to every emotion. So when the person has the desire to experience the causal emotion inside of themselves and they ask God for God's assistance to deal with these multi-generational emotions, God can then reach in and actually, because the emotion is flowing, it's a bit like this. Here's our soul, if I describe it like this. Here's our soul. Here's the emotion that's inside of me from my parents. Let's say it's from my mum in this case, right? Now, Now, my free will means that If I have my free will totally open and expressive, everything, as Mary said earlier, will pass through me. Does that make sense? So this emotion would already be out of me if I'd done that, if I'm exercising my free will. 
Now, the problem with our free will is you can think of your free will as a cap over your soul. Right? When you don't want to use your free will to do something, what you're doing is putting like a shell on your soul, a shell on your emotions. Now, to, for God to reach in, you think of God's hand, if you can think of a hand reaching in to try and grip this emotion. If you've got a shell on top, what can God do now? Nothing. Right? Because to do it would be to break one of her own rules, and that is, I don't want to do anything that you don't want me to do. Can you see? Right? So, so while I'm exercising my free will to block my relationship with God and to block the experience of this emotion, God can't actually reach in and help grab this emotion out of me. Right? But if I allow, I open up my soul and allow myself to experience the emotion, the potential of the experience even, now my soul is open. And God can just, because it's flowing, God can grab it. Because the emotion is now flowing in me and I'm not preventing it through my own denial. So you can see very much it depends upon our will as to how fast we can release cause and emotion. Another thing I need to say though is that there are two things you cannot do for another person. One of them is release their emotion you will never, ever, ever be able to release another person's emotion. And when I say two things, like I could think of a whole list of things, but there's two primary things. And in releasing the emotion, I mean also desire. You cannot do something that someone else desires for them. So that, you know, they can only experience their desires. You can act on it, but you'll be doing it for emotional reasons that you're denying inside of yourself. The second thing that you will never be able to do for another person is give them God's love. So every time you know you put your hands on someone and invoke God's love to come through you into the other person, it's not God's love going through you into the other person. Because only God can connect to the person and give God's love to the person. So what's actually happening? Because that's that's been a bit of a dilemma for me. Because I've you know done healing work for eight years now, and over mm -hmm. that time, kind of come through theta healing and all the the new age stuff, and found quite a lot of frustration with that. Because yep. So what's going on? We want to know. Yeah. Okay. Let's have a look at what's going on. Here's your soul. Here's the soul of the person you're trying to assist. Right. right. So here's your soul. Here's God. And surrounding you, there are lots of spirits, right? Particularly if you're doing healing, there are lots of spirits around you surrounding your healing process. By the way, around this person, there's probably some spirits as well, right? Some of them who want to help the person are the ones who perhaps want to harm the person. In each healing situation, lots of different things are going on. There might be spirits connected to the person who are actually causing the person's ailment. So if you ask them to leave or you ask God's love to enter them, that will actually ask them to leave in most cases. And so what will happen is God's love, if this person is open, can enter the person and actually help disconnect them from the spirit. Now that will look like an instantaneous healing for that person. A very successful day that day, you know, right? And so their, their, their stuff goes away quite rapidly under those circumstances. Next week they might come along with a different problem 
because they haven't yet healed the emotion that caused the attraction to the spirit that was harming them. But that's a different story altogether. The other thing that's happening is when you do some healing work with the person, the spirits that are with you or with them that are in a good condition, they might not be on the divine love path, but they might be in a good condition, like one of their guides or guardians, will actually do whatever they can to help the person heal. Now, if those spirits are on the divine love path, they won't do that until this person is willing to deal with the emotion. But if the spirits are on the natural love path, they will use as much of your energy as possible to do as much healing on this person. The ectoplasm of your body is used to actually work through, the spirit works through it because you're the one with the connection that works through it. They can't often connect to this person because this person's like, you know, quite often in a sad state or whatever, and so they're not connecting to that person. But usually the person who's a healer is quite a good medium, so they're basically channeling energy, healing energy from spirits via themselves to that person. But they're not doing it to their soul. That's the problem. They're usually doing it to their spirit body and their physical body. Now, remember I've said that every single problem we have is caused by the souls, not the bodies. So, we can channel a lot of healing to a body, helps them for a week or two weeks or a few months, but then they say, oh, look, I'm coming back and a few months later I've really got the same problem, you know, like I was really good for a couple of months. Right? You hear that a lot when you're doing healing. The reason why is because they're still not identifying the causal emotion. Now, a spirit on the celestial, yeah, a celestial spirit or a spirit on the, on the divine love path would actually still do that, but only if they saw a willingness in the person to deal with the emotion. So in other words, when you're on a, in, a, in a, a love state, you know when a person's got that eggshell across the top of their soul, if you like, right? And you can feel it from them. Like I can feel it from many of you when you come up to ask me a question. And I go, mm, you don't want to deal with that. And I'll say that to you. And you say, yes, I do. Yes, I do. How dare you say to me I don't, you know? And I say, well, I'm sorry, but I feel you don't. I can feel that eggshell that's on the top there, you know? Whatever that eggshell is. And I'll try and encourage you to get into that one. And, but a lot of times we don't want to know what that is because we're afraid or whatever, and so we don't deal with that. But when you're a spirit, you can see it. You can see it affecting the spirit body of the person so you know there's resistance. Now when there's resistance like that, a natural love spirit can heal through you as the, as the, this is the healer's soul if you like, you're the healer. A natural love spirit can heal through you, but then you're not going to heal the entire thing. You can't. Because the emotion's creating it while you're trying to undo it. Right? And this is why a lot of people like who have cancers, for example, go along to a healer, get lots of healing every week, they feel better for a day or so, and then, but eventually the cancer kills them. And the reason why is because they are not dealing with the underlying emotional reasons why. And the emotional reasons are more powerful than the healing. And because the emotional reasons are more powerful than the healing, the condition degrades. So all you do is slow down the condition if you don't deal with the emotion, but you never actually heal the condition in the person. Except, of course, in the original thing that I said, if it was a spirit causing the condition, you can heal that really rapidly. And that's why you have these effects sometimes that are really rapid. Now, on the divine love path, if this person has the faith 
to connect to God and also has the desire to experience all of their emotion, which is called humility. So they have the humility to connect to their emotion. Now God can direct, connect to them directly. And that's going to be a pretty powerful experience. So you've only got them on the table. They're opening up to God. They're opening up their faith that God will actually connect with them and help them here. And they're humble to experience all the emotions. You can spend two minutes with them and say one word or two words or a sentence and all of a sudden they're bawling their eyes out on the table having a major causal emotional release. And that's a very powerful experience because that's really good for them. Eventually what was happening though is we want to teach them all to do it for themselves, of course, rather than having your... But as a healer, this is one of the roles you can have, is it teaching people how to heal themselves. So in that situation, God is actually giving them divine love during that process directly. You have helped them by telling them the truth. Remember I've said there's three things we need to connect to God. What were they? A love for, a longing for divine love, a longing for divine truth and humility. So we've helped them come to a state of humility by talking to them about their emotion. You're allowed to have your emotion. You're allowed to experience your emotion so forth. We've talked to them about the truth, the truth that we know our spirit friends might be telling us. Oh, in your life, you were abused by your father and this is how you felt at the time. Do you remember that? That's the truth entering them. They are longing for God's love and they have faith that it's going to help heal them. They will definitely get healed from whatever that is if they do those three things. Then it's a very, very powerful experience for the person and also for the healer. It's a joyful experience because you, you can feel lots of things changing. Yeah. So the key is to change our, if we're a healer, to change our focus a little from just trying to fix the problem externally into fixing the cause of the problem so the problem can be fixed internally. And that's the powerful thing we can do as a healer. Remember that God only deals with causes. There's a law of cause and effect, which I haven't discussed yet with people. God will only address causes in your soul. He doesn't address effects. So if you say to God, oh, please take away, away this uh, malignant cancer from me, God will not do that. You try that. God won't do that for you. Many people have tried that, right, and have died with their cancer. Many religious people have tried that and died with their cancer, by the way. You know that, don't you, through your own experience and things you've heard. Why hasn't it worked? They've had faith in God. They've had the humility, maybe, to experience their emotions. But what's going on? They're not addressing the cause. You see, we've got to address the cause. We've got to be willing to address the cause, whatever that cause is. Sometimes the causes aren't too pretty. Sometimes the causes are actually, oh, wow, I've got this terrible emotion where I'd like to harm other people in me. And that might be the cause, and you've got to come to deal with that cause. Often that's the case with cancers. That's one of the causes, like a big desire to impact our life on other people. You'll see this happening a lot surrounding those kind of diseases. And so often, unless we're willing to address the causes, God can't be involved in the process. Also, because we're unwilling to address the causes, any celestial spirits or spirits on the divine love path can't be involved in the process. Because they keep their connection with God by having their harmony with all of God's laws. 
Does that make sense? They, don't, they can't. So the only spirits that can help in that situation are natural love spirits. And the natural love spirits don't understand the soul. Right? Most of them haven't even learnt about the soul yet. They think the soul is a spirit body. Like, so when you talk to many people on earth and people in the, in the spirits in the natural love community, I suppose you could call it, if we can call it that, you'll find that many of them have this viewpoint that, that oh, my spirit body is my soul. And that's why they call it the spirit. But it's not your soul. It's a completely different thing. But they believe it's the same thing. So they don't even know what the soul is, and therefore they don't even know what the cause aside All they do is see it in the spirit body, but they don't identify with the cause emotionally in the soul. Now there's spirits who are on the natural life path who are starting to do that now, of course, and that's why we're getting a lot of emotional work coming into a lot of the healing now. Whereas right back in the beginning it was all sort of metaphysical work, you know, work with the spirit form. But now it's a lot more emotional. But even so... There's a lot of laws involved in terms of how powerful we can be as the healer. And if we understand them, it can work really well every time. Does that answer? Sometimes my answers seem a bit long, I know. But it's fairly concise. Concise enough? <laughs> yeah. With the uh, mediumship and healing sessions that we're doing now, um, what, what we'll be doing is going through in practice a lot of healing techniques in terms of what we would do in different circumstances and situations to help a person heal and using very, like a lot of healers know all of the different techniques of kinesiology, reflexology and all these other ologies that we have here on earth and, and we can use a lot of those techniques in actually helping a person connect to God and work their way through the emotion and have faith and all those different things that are the real primary things. But down the track, once I'm in the condition and then others of the 14 and others of, others of you are in the condition of one with God, you'll be healing in an entirely different manner um, because all those ologies you won't need anymore because God will be able to operate through you and you'll know exactly what to do in each situation with each person to actually help their causal emotions to be released. And so um, when we're in that state, which was the state that I demonstrated in the first century too, there'll be lots of people taking a lot more notice of the divine love path at that point. And mm. um, if we come down to Ray and then back up. Uh, it's all right, just if you... AJ, I came here this weekend with a burning question. Yeah. And it's about your journey. And Whose journey, yours or mine? Yours. Mine, okay. Yours. And um, I just want to know, I know you had a a regular life before where you were working and all the rest of it. Did you just like wake up one morning and know you were Jesus or how did that happen? (laughs) Um, It's a good question. It's it's funny that lots of of people have never asked me this question, even though I say I'm Jesus, right? So... I find it interesting how many people don't ask questions about the question about whether I'm Jesus or not. But anyway, all right, let me describe what happened. It's going to be a summary, all right? So it's obviously there's a lot of emotions involved in this summary. Um, when I was Shortly after I was born, I was born with a lot of physical problems. So I had a lot of fear in my body and uh, those fear, the fears in my body caused a lot of 
problems, particularly in this region of my body. And as a result of that, uh, obviously I had some operations uh, on my bowel and a few other things when I was very, very young. I was a couple of years, a couple of years old. The fear has been with me all my life, that fear, and um, it's only just started to be released from 13 years ago onwards. But what happened was when I was quite young and I could start having, you know, you, you know how when you grow you start having your own memories, I would have memories of different things happening, memories of abuse mostly, uh, which I couldn't understand at all. And uh, by the time I was around, around 12 years of age, I'd blocked off all of those memories. So I'd done very, very similar to what an abuse victim would do with torture or, or um, sexual abuse. Just block it all off. So I actually remember we're sitting down one day when I was 12. I was in the backyard at, uh, at a town in my hometown that I was born in Loxton in South Australia. And I knew from that moment I'd never remember, this is how I felt, I'd never remember my childhood. Many of you don't remember your childhood, right? Still. And there's good reasons for that, that you need to investigate, right? Because you, because there's emotions locked up in that. Anyway, um, when I was seven years of age, um, I've always had a really strong bent towards God, always, that all, ever since I can remember. I remember when I was about three or four years of age, sitting in our backyard in a little warm place, patting a cat, longing for God and missing my soulmate. I was four and I didn't understand any of the emotions of it, right? And, uh, and so I've always had these connections with my soulmate and God that I couldn't understand. And, uh, and when I was seven, my mother changed religion. She was a, um, Anglican, Church of England. And she went through this big process of, of investigating different religions. But what she did was she compared all the religions with the Bible. How many of you have done that in your life? Like, got out the Bible, a few of you, yeah. Got out the Bible line by line, you know, compared it to that religion. Like, it's a pretty big job, and uh, considering how many pages there are there. But my mother went through this process, and she finished up narrowing down to three religions that she liked. <laughs> uh, the Seventh-day Adventist religion, the Mormon religion, and the Jehovah's Witness religion. And the reason why she narrowed down to those three was because she felt that each one of those religions had quite a lot of connection with the Bible and we're practicing the Bible in, in what she had read in the Bible to be. And eventually she studied with each one of those. So she went to uh, you know, the Seven-day Adventists in our hometown and there wasn't, well, it wasn't many. And she went to the Mormons, in our, well there weren't any Mormons in her hometown but they'd visit. And then she went to the Jehovah's Witnesses and there was uh, no Jehovah's Witnesses in our town either. There was in, one in a town about 30 or 40 miles away. Renmark, for any of you who know South Australia. And uh, anyway, so she went through this process of studying. And after two years of doing that, she, um, she narrowed it down to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So my mother became a Jehovah's Witness. And, uh, and in the Jehovah's Witness faith, it's, uh, there's a lot of focus on the Bible, like re literally reading the Bible and literally applying it. Now, um, what that meant was that I got, at a young age, presented with the Bible. Because before then, when my mum was a, uh, um, a Church of England, um, I wasn't interested in reading the Bible at all. 
And, and in fact, what I would read was my dad's Alistair MacLean books, which were, if any of you know, he's sort of like a crime war writer. And by the time I was five years of age, I was reading those books instead, uh, not, not anything to do with the Bible. But still having this longing for God and so forth. And so what happened then was uh, I started studying the Bible for myself. So I was around seven or eight years of age by now. And I started looking through the Bible. And there were some things that really, really affected me in the Bible. And I couldn't understand why. Sometimes I would cry reading it. And I couldn't understand why. Anyway, that went on. And by the time I was 12, I'd studied the Bible so well that my, I knew the Bible better than my parents. And, uh, and in particular, I'd focused on the prophecies of the Bible. I don't know if you know much about them, uh, but the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, uh, all the books of the, the prophets in the what are called the Hebrew Scriptures, or the you might call them the Old Testament. Uh, and I realized that there was a lot of prophecies relating to Messiah and relating to... And I started also co-relating prophecies with real life. And I started feeling myself that the Bible was God's Word. So actually, I can remember going through this feeling that the Bible was God's Word. So from then on, I devoted my life to the Jehovah's Witness faith. And so I started knocking on doors, you know, and, uh, and my whole life was focused around it. I knocked on doors started preaching. Many of you feel very confronted by me saying all this, of course, but that's how it was. So I went through all of that and um, and by the time I was 16, I just wanted to do the preaching thing full time. So I was one of these pests that came and knocked on your doors <laughs> <laughs> trying to change your mind, you know. Anyway. So, um, and then of course uh, I met a lady uh, when I was 16 actually, I met a lady and by the time I was 19 I was married to that girl and uh, we had two children and um, we were both in the Jehovah's Witness faith and I became what was called an elder in that faith. So I was up in front of lots of people and eventually up in front of thousands of people. There was one time uh, 5,000 people uh, that I would speak to at a time. So. So anyway, I did all of that. I was quite young still. I was now in my late 20s. So I'd moved around a bit and, and uh, still in the faith, but starting to feel quite a lot of emotions about other people's misunderstandings of love. And I noticed a lot of lack of love being displayed. So even though that we were you know, trying to practice the Bible, on the other hand, there was a lot of times that the Bible as I saw it, wasn't being practiced anyway. And in particular, with regard to the aspect of love, true love, you know, with for everyone. And, uh, and so I started thinking and speaking a lot about love. And as a result of that, I moved to a new location and, and talked about love a lot. And in the process of moving to the new location, I found that the new location was even more unloving than the place I'd come from. And that just brought up lots and lots of different things for me. And eventually, because I was an elder in the faith, you had this role of policing the congregation. And what I mean by policing was that you, well, it's not so much policing, but whenever somebody in the congregation broke the laws of so-called love, you know, but by now I'm starting to worry about this, but they broke the laws of love, you would actually talk to them. And, and if they continued to want to break the laws of love, 
you would go through this process with them where eventually if they continue to want to do that, you would remove them from the congregation. Does that make sense? So you would disfellowship them, it was called, or disassociate them. And in the congregation I was in, at the time, there were quite a few drunkards, and the Bible condemns drunkards, you see. So, so that meant that it was my responsibility to deal with this issue and because I was an elder in the congregation. And in the process of doing that, I went through huge emotions that eventually I had a breakdown. Right. So eventually I had this emotional breakdown. I was 32 years of age um, when I had the breakdown. It was, it was still emotions that I can feel now, you know, just terrible emotions of like not knowing... Um, just not being connected to myself anymore, feeling, feeling the terrible anger and hatred that was being projected at me for just following what I believed the Bible was saying I should do in that role. And I finished up stepping down from being an elder in the congregation. And during this time, ironically, that I was going through the breakdown, um, for, if I describe a bit about my personal life, for the previous seven years I knew my wife didn't love me. My wife, seven years earlier, had fallen in love with another man and uh, although we were still together and she never left me, um, our relationship wasn't the same. And during that time also, uh, there was 13 years where she was depressed in our relationship from almost the time of our first child right the way through our relationship. She was very depressed as well. So I had all those pressures happening in my life and at the same time I had four companies and I was trying to run these four companies through an emotional breakdown. <laughs> does it sound sort of like a super achiever type person, right? And it was like that. I was, see, in, in the Jehovah's Witness faith, you don't get paid for doing what you do. So you've still got to earn money using other means. Does that make sense? So I would earn money by doing my computer work in my companies and, and so forth. At this, at this stage, I only had, sorry, not four companies, I had... It's hard to remember with all the companies I've started. Um, yeah, no, actually, I had four companies, sorry, but but there was a huge emotional problems with the with all of the other owners of these companies, and I finished up losing our house and all sorts of things went through during the same process or just before this process, and so I had all these different experiences where it eventually reduced me into just a pile of rubble, really. Right, that's where I went to. And then on top of that, um, there was this girl that was interested in me, and and so what happened was that I went through all this guilt and shame about actually feeling like I wanted to love this other woman, and and it was a terrible emotions for me because uh, although you know we did act upon it at that time, it was like these terrible emotions of feeling guilt and shame that I was married and and all these things. And so eventually, what happened? was I decided that I had to separate from my wife and I had to separate from the religion. And I did that in a very emotional time where I went back home and lived with my parents and, uh, and allowed all these different emotions to come up, which over the next year and a half I spent most of my time crying, basically. Um, dealing with emotions, not with God, because by this stage I thought God had condemned me as well. So I was alone now and... Dealing with emotions, I would still see my boys uh, three days a week or so during this time and I'd have them for three days and then the mum would have them. And everyone 
because I'd left the congregation, left the organisation of Jehovah's Witnesses, everyone treated me as if I was dead. So I, you imagine I'd been totally immersed in it and now everyone I knew, every single person that I knew, treated me like I was dead. My own parents treated me like I was dead. So I went through lots of emotions, <laughs> as you can imagine, about all of that and uh, worked my way through lots of things about those emotions. And as I was working my way through those emotions, a whole group of memories started coming up. Right. Now, I don't have any, at this stage, I don't have any beliefs in reincarnation. I have no beliefs in anything other than what I've been taught from the Bible, nothing else. But I feel totally condemned by God, right? So I don't have a relationship with God that I had all my life up until this point. But up that point, at that point, I felt that God had cut me off too. So I was working my way through these emotions and, and for the first sort of three or four months quite suicidal. And then I decided that what happened was just before I was thinking of suiciding, a friend of my boys, um, uh, they had friends and one of their friends was uh, a, a young, two children, a, man, a boy and a girl, and they went to visit their father and the father then brought them home and the next day he burnt himself alive in a caravan. And that sort of just sort of gave me a bit of a wake up because I could start, by this time, feeling emotion. I could start feeling the emotions that those children would have about that event. So I stopped considering suicide and instead I went to go and get some help. So I visited all these different psychologists and psychiatrists and everything and eventually settled on one who wanted to deal with my emotions because I knew by this stage that I had to deal with my emotions. And then eventually, three months later, I outgrew him um, because I started identifying his emotions better than he could identify. <laughs> so then I went to another one <laughs> and uh, did the same thing. And then three months later, of course, the same thing occurs and outgrew him. But eventually I met a lovely man who was really focused on emotion and he was so good with it, really, really good with emotions. And one day I hope to, that you'll meet him too. He's not on the Divine Love Path, but he helped me for the next year. I visited him twice a week and every time it was an emotional processing of experience where I went through causal emotion. And by this stage I'm getting used to dealing with emotions. Right? So I'm alone, uh, living at this stage with my parents, dealing with causal emotions, and then the woman that was originally attracted to me that I mentioned earlier uh, came into my life and she decided to leave the witnesses at this stage and, and she came into my life. But it was a very turbulent relationship where I only saw her once a month. So I'd see her once a month and then cry the rest of the month and see her once a month and cry the rest of the month. And I wasn't dealing with any causal emotion and, and as you can see I've obviously dealt with it now because I can think back on it in amusement. But... Um, um, uh, um, I dealt with, you know, emotion, 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 and it was like, ter it was terrible at the time. I can remember it was just terrible. I used to write pages and pages and pages and pages just on my computer. And in, in the end, I got used to feeling emotions. The first three hours of every day, I'd just cry. And then I found if I did that, the rest of the day was pretty good. <laughs> right? And then my boys decided, through a lot of religious pressure, because my wife, my ex-wife and the boys were still in the religion, they decided they couldn't see me anymore. And I went through some really bad emotions then, like um, for, for about three or four months, uh, I cried pretty continuously. Um, 
And then I went through realizing some things about God again, realizing that no matter what I'd done, God would love me because no matter, even though my boys didn't want to see me anymore, I still loved them. Does that make sense? Like I still loved them. So, so what I did was I started to phone them and sometimes I'd answer the phone, sometimes not, sometimes I'd get the ex-wife who would tell me off and, then, and so forth. And I did that for another year or so until a year and a bit later I decided I had enough self-worth by this stage, so I'd been doing that a couple of times a week, that I'd go around and see my boys. And when I seen them it just cut me up because my youngest son had grown into a man in that time from being a boy and... Um, and I can remember just sitting down the road, crying <laughs> about missing out on that part of his life, which I still feel a bit that I have. Anyway, during this time, I'm still dealing with my emotions, and I've got sort of a relationship <laughs> that eventually, seven years later, died uh, because of the same reason why in the beginning, and that is that there was never any real love there. It was all based on emotional injuries. But during this time, I was doing this cause and effect thing. I wasn't dealing with the cause. I was dealing with the effects a lot, right? But during this time, I also was having huge memories of torture, abuse, uh, some rape memories, um, childhood abuse memories. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I, I've got no idea what's going on. And um, I just believe that I must have suppressed my childhood so much that all of those things happened in my childhood. And I went through all sorts of emotions uh, through, throughout that experience. I remember one, one time I was sitting down describing to the guy who was helping me these nails being getting hammered into my feet. And I couldn't understand it. I just thought, oh, it's, it's a childhood trauma of some kind, you know. And I'm bawling my, and I cried for nearly six months about that one thing. Like it was just emotion after emotion after emotion. And then I remembered other events too. I remembered um, some uh, things related to my fears of dogs and all these other different things. So if you can imagine fragments of your life all sort of coming together emotionally. Does that make sense? Like whatever you can cope with, whatever you don't fear is what will come up next. Right? So the more I dealt with another emotion, another emotion would come in and so forth. And that's what it was like for the next uh, seven years. So I spent a lot of the time alone, a lot of the time processing emotion, and a lot of time working my way through all of these traumatic events. And eventually um, I came uh, to get to a point where I thought... Where, and by the way, during this time I started three other businesses, <laughs> um, which, uh, which just added to the turmoil of uh, my life. But, but I was controlling it, it really well because I was dealing with emotions now which meant that things went, worked pretty well. So I became quite abundant. In fact, at one point, I had, uh, by this stage, I was, my ideal was to work towards getting enough money to create a place for children to work through their emotions. So that, the way I did that was I started developing, developing property. And so I worked through developing property and got a lot of stuff together there. And eventually I got to have 13 or 14 properties and started to work my way to, to what I thought would be the goal of eventually selling all of these properties, leveraging them into what I wanted to do. So I'm still dealing with emotions, I'm still dealing with all these memories, and they're really traumatic memories, and quite often I'm out of action for a day or two or more at a time as I'm dealing with them. 
and uh, eventually this relationship, this uh, on-off, on-off thing was off and uh, I went through a lot of emotions about that because I thought it should be on and, and then about a year and a half after that I met this lady who challenged me about seeing a medium. I've never seen a medium in my whole life right? and I disagreed vehemently with them. The reason why is because in the Bible it says, what? For those who know, it says it's a work of the devil, right? Basically. Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, after a discussion, and she triggered a lot of my emotions in the discussion, I decided I'd go along to one. And this lady, uh, and by this stage I'm feeling pretty good actually. I've, I've dealt with seven years of memories about sexual abuse, torture, rape, and so forth. And you know, and so I'm in a fairly good state, right? I'm feeling really good. My empire is building, right? that I'm enjoying that, you know, enjoying the process of that. I'm driving around in my sports car and starting to enjoy my life, right? And uh, I thought I was starting to really get things together, really get things together, emotionally together. I felt really present emotionally most of the time now. And I felt really good about my emotions and my emotional presence and so forth. So I go along to this medium and she says, oh, you know how you've been dealing with all this stuff? And I said, yeah, yeah. I thought she was going to say, you've been doing really good. <laughs> well, she said, actually, there's a huge castle you've built around your emotions and you haven't begun to release them. And I'm going like, my God, like, I've just come out of like seven years of every day almost crying, right? And I'm going, and so I asked for details. She says, yeah, no, they won't tell me anymore. Just that there's this huge castle and you, and you need to do a few little processes. And one of them was the journey process. She, she said, you need to do a few little processes and that'll help you open up a little bit more to these other emotions. And I'm going, what other emotions could there be? You know, like honestly. And by this stage, I had a fairly firm belief that uh, God loved me. I had a fairly firm belief about God and how God interacts with people because I could feel it in my life. And I had a fairly firm belief still about um, emotions and, and processing emotions. And I had a pretty firm belief that I dealt with everything. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Not true, not true. Anyway, I go along and, and, and in this, this woman who was challenging me, we started to have a very short relationship and I upset her. And in the process of upsetting her, I, I realized that I seem to have a lot of trouble with women still <laughs> for some reason. And so I went home and I just cried and cried and cried about how useless I was with women. Like, and so what I did, then was I, I just remembered for some reason, and nothing, I don't know why it was, but that I had a love of truth before and I seemed to have lost it. And I was so focused on relationships and being happy in every aspect of my life that I seemed to have lost this love or desire for truth. And so, anyway, I, I do a pretty weird thing. Um, I get on the internet and go to Amazon and write down truth and enter you know, and I get a list of books about truth. And so I start searching, you know, this was at night, I was crying. And it's at night, I was crying because I'd just broken up with this 
relationship. So I've only had three relationships in my life, and and this third relationship, besides Mary, that is, I'm sorry, I should say, um, besides the pure one, um, the 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 in this relationship, um, it was just there to trigger these emotions about uh, to cause me to get into truth, you know. So anyway, I write truth, write down truth. There's a long list. I think it's three or four hundred books. I start paying, scrolling down, crying, you know, crying, 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 scrolling down, the titles, reading the title, reading the title, reading the title. And all of a sudden I read one title, I burst out crying and I go and sob, 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 sob. And I go back and have a look and the title says, Angelic Revelations of Divine Truth. So I decide, oh, that's a bit weird. So I go down and down and down and down and down. And all of a sudden there's another one. I'd forgotten by this stage because I'm still crying, the first one. And I'm still crying, so go down, 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 listen. I see another title. It was Angelic Revelations of Divine Truth, Volume 2. <laughs> but I didn't realise that. So I read that and then I'm burst out and I'm down on the floor sobbing again, right? But then I thought, what was the, what was the one of the other one? So I go back up the list and sure enough it was Angelic Revelations of Divine Truth, Volume 1. So I buy them both. Right? And then um, I buy them, yeah? But, but, you know, it's Amazon and it's US and it's going to be three weeks before it comes to me. And I'm like, I can't wait three weeks. So I then think, like, the thing that's been with me all my life is the truth is free. The truth is free. The truth is free. God wants to give us the truth and the truth is free. Okay, so I shouldn't have to buy it on Amazon. So I get on the net now and I type in Evangelic Revelations of Divine Truth. And lo and behold, there's a lot of sites that have it for free downloadable. Now, I have a little dial-up modem thing going on, right, at my home. None of this fancy internet stuff nowadays. And anyway, although I'm a computer consultant, it was just that the the place where I lived, which was on a beach, didn't have ADSL or any of those fancy things. So so what I did was I had to download them using a dial-up modem. <laughs> now, I'm in, I'm in like major meltdown by this stage because I really badly want it. So what I decided to do is find another site that's got anything to do with those same messages and then I search for soulmates. I've always had this belief in my whole life that I'm missing my soulmate, right? Just missing her. And I still have, you know, I'd spent seven years crying about it in a previous relationship but still I had this same feeling. So anyway, I get down all the messages that are soulmates and I decide to download all them and they only take an hour and a half. So I download all them first, put them all in document, print them all out. I've got a laser printer so that's and then grab them and I'm reading, this is now midnight, one o'clock in the morning, I'm reading, reading, reading the soulmate messages and crying my eyes out because exactly what they're presenting is exactly what I believe about soulmates. Anyway, I'm so keen now to get the angelic revelations of divine truth. So, so, so I download the rest and by the next morning printed all them out and I start reading. Two weeks of reading, crying my eyes out the entire time, in between eating occasionally. I got really sick, so I had to deal with that as well, vomiting, whatever. All that happened at the same time, start vomiting and all this thing, reading these messages, crying. And that's my life for the next two weeks. I stopped all my work and that's all I did. Anyway, I, by the end of the two weeks, because I cried a lot in it between, I didn't read very fast, and normally I'm a very fast reader, but um, by the end of two weeks, I get to this point of, of, you know, the second volume. 
So I've gotten through one of these volumes, lots and lots of crying. The reason why there was lots of crying because every single thing they presented was exactly what I had now come to believe, not through my Bible teachings or anything like that, but through the feelings that I'd had up until that point. And I couldn't understand how this could be the case. Right? Anyway, I'm so overjoyed with this truth that I'm getting that I can't think of anything else. So, so now I'm just like fixated on this truth. You would have called me obsessed, guaranteed. <laughs> anyway, so I'm obsessed with this truth. And the truth is, uh, and so I start reading the next volume. And then I notice that I hadn't noticed before that it had been happening all the way along. And that is, I knew in advance what every message was going to say. And, and I just, like, I could not understand it. I just could not understand it. So, you know, anything you don't understand, you put aside, don't you? And that box. But, but it keeps coming back to me. Like, why is this? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? It's like somebody's prompting me, you know? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? I've got no idea why it's happening. But I'm starting to get quite distressed about it. Because it, it's eerie, you know? It's now feeling like eerie. You know how you get that thing that you're in something and it's so joyful and everything, you go along with it, go along with it, and now it starts getting eerie, sort of, oh, it's just like, anyway, it really bothered me and I couldn't resolve it intellectually, I didn't know why. Anyway, and I start the second volume and sure enough, every time I read a message, I know what it's going to say. It says, oh, the truth about God, I know what the truth is about God, I write it all down, then sure enough, present, exactly what I've written down is what the message was saying. Next subheading, truth about spirit world or whatever, and I read that and same thing goes. I'd write it all down. These are not the same as my beliefs, by the way. These are not the same beliefs as what I grew up with. They're just totally new concepts, and yet I seem to know them in advance of reading them. So I then all of a sudden get this inspiration to start drawing the universe. So I start drawing the universe, you know, the spheres, the spheres, the spheres, the soul, God up top, the soul union state, the progression to the soul, you know, and all that. I'm drawing, drawing, drawing now, like, so I'm drawing. And none of this is coming from outside of me. This is all stuff, there's no spirit involved, nobody's telling me, nothing's going on aside from it, it's all just coming from inside of me, it's all stuff I know I know. Do you know what I mean? So I draw all of this stuff, all of these universal things. And I'm just wrapped, like I'm so happy, I'm overjoyed, like all of this stuff that just flowing, flowing, flowing. And I'm emotional the whole time, of course. So it's all flowing all the time. <coughs> and then wham, one in the middle of all of this, I remember who I was. Just, I, I can't explain it other than that. Just remembered. And then all of this crap came afterwards. Like, so I remembered I was Jesus. And I cried and cried, like sobbed my heart out for days on end about it. Because I don't want to be Jesus. I didn't want to be Jesus. I didn't want to be any... By this stage before then, I was feeling like I was going to teach this. I knew I was going to teach this stuff. But I didn't want to be Jesus. And, and, and I, you, know, you know, no one's going to believe me anyway. Like, would you? No, of course you wouldn't. After hearing that story, you wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't believe on Jesus after hearing that story, that's for sure. 
So, 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 like, like, I'm in terrible emotional turmoil by this stage. I know who I am now, which is a beautiful thing to know who you are. I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. That's a beautiful thing too. But it just is like there's so much fear now because not only was I now having these desires built in me about all these things, but I was now having memories of my life in the first century. So I started having memories of why I went through all of this, what I thought previously was childhood trauma. And I started reconnecting with all the events. You see, in the first century, when I was 21, I was tortured almost to death in the first century. And I reconnected with that memory of all of the different things that happened. And when I was 15, I was, uh, I was um, abused by some... Some men. And then I had started having all of these realizations that actually all of these childhood abuse memories that I'd processed were related to my soulmate's life. And I couldn't understand how that happened, but it happened. And later on I understood once I processed some more of the emotions. And then I actually finished up processing the emotions of my crucifixion, along with lots of other emotions. Now, by this stage, like, I'm used to emotional processing. But when you say used to emotional processing, this is emotional processing on a whole different level than what I did before then. And this, I then understood what that lady meant when I visited her, the medium, that I had a whole castle to dismantle. And so my whole life's focus from that moment on became just dismantling the castle. So I sold all of my properties and... I spent those money on teaching people these things and I allowed all of these things to come up. I never told them generally I was Jesus. So, you know, I allowed all the things to come up. I gave away CDs and DVDs and whatever else and I finished up going overseas on a few trips as well and doing the same thing overseas and all the while dealing with my emotions about identity and eventually I get to the point where I can feel like I can say to a group of people that who I am. And so I get to that point, and by this stage, I feel quite strongly about the others of the 14. And by this stage, I've actually identified most of them and know who they are and know where they are and so forth. And I knew my soulmate was somewhere up here in Queensland, so I got rid of everything that I had down in South Australia and moved up to Queensland. And in the process of moving up to Queensland, um, I met quite a few people who... And in fact, one of the, people, the groups of people I met was my soulmate's parents. And uh, I didn't know that they were her parents or anything like that. Um, but I just knew I had to be in this location, in the Gympie location, you know, it was around that area. Anyway, I still do presentations, still doing presentations, still working through my emotions. By this stage, I've resolved inside of myself all the issues of identity which, by the way, is a very, very, was a very traumatic psychological process. And it certainly wasn't something I enjoyed, and it certainly wasn't something that, um, you know, that I wanted to be. It was, in fact, quite the opposite. I, I had lots of different times where I just, I just disconnected completely from God and said, I don't want to be the person who, what it feels like I am, and for lots of different reasons, lots of different emotional reasons, and and I had to work through every one of them. And most of it, I, of course, but I was alone, so I did all of this alone. 
Thank goodness, probably, because if I had done it with someone around me, they probably would have committed me. And my mother did attempt to do that. Um, um, so once she heard that I was saying that I was Jesus, um, she then went to some psychologists and they reported me and then I had to go to have some assessments and so forth with doctors and whatever else. And they then determined very quickly that uh, I wasn't a danger to myself or to others and so they allowed me to live by myself instead of being committed. But I had to work through all the emotions of that as well, uh, which uh, brought up quite a few emotions about you know, my family hadn't been speaking to me for a long time and then the first time they speak to me, they want to commit me. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of emotions in that. And uh, and my father didn't speak to me for seven years and my mother about three or four years and my boys for a year and a half and so forth. So I've had... I was, I was totally alone at a lot of places in my life. Anyway, so I worked through all of those things and, and then there's this, this burning desire to teach the truth. So I just focused on my passion and I thought, well... No one's going to believe me anyway who I am. So maybe the best thing to do is just not tell them. And then, of course, I went through that with God and realized that that disconnected me straight away from God. So I couldn't do that. Then I thought, well, no one's going to believe who I am. <laughs> um, and if I've got to say who I am, then it's going to be pretty, like, this isn't going to work very well at all, uh, was my feelings. And in fact, everyone around me who heard what I, who I was saying I was, I was, felt the same way, of course, because that's my law of attraction. So they were all telling me, don't you say that, don't you say that, you know, and, and so forth. So I go through a lot of emotions of condescension from others, ridicule and all those kind of emotions, and eventually I get through all of them and I know what I have to do. So, so I just go ahead and do that, which is just tell the truth all the time. Just tell the truth all the time. No matter what the results are, tell the truth. And so I just start telling the truth. And ironically, for the first time, uh, after that point, people started to listen. Before that point, before I didn't say the truth, I would have whole groups of the audience angry, rageful with me. I would come out of every audience and go and cry. For many times, for days on end. And then... I would get myself all together again, work my way through a group of emotions, feel really good, go off, do another group. <laughs> and then that would be triggered again and we'd go through the same cycle. To the point where now I don't hardly have any emotions to work my way through anymore. And I feel things quite strongly. And obviously during this change I've made lots of changes and transitions, which are transitions you will find yourself making as well. And a full memory, almost a full memory of my life so what happened was my first century life, I had lots of memories, and then my memories of the spirit life started coming to me. So I went through the different experiences that I've been in the spirit life, and then I started teaching spirits and talking to spirits and all those kind of things and working way through issues there as well. And eventually come through all of that to this point where now I know who I am. It doesn't matter to me whether you believe me or not. What matters to me, though, is that I just want to follow my passion. And my passion is helping people get through all of their stuff so they can connect with God. That's my passion. And that's been always my passion. <laughs> Ever since I can remember in the first century, that's always been my passion. And so I've just processed my emotions all the way through that. Now, there's still memories coming to me, 
Um, and there's still memories. Um, during this time, by the way, memories of our plans that we made in the spirit world came to me. And so I started remembering all of these plans that we'd made, the plans of what we would do in the future, what we would be doing on earth, why it's all happening now, why is it around 2012 that all of these events are occurring, what was going on in the earth, what would happen in the earth in the future, what kind of people would need to make what kind of changes in order for the change of the world to occur. And all of those things, the big, what I call the big picture things, are the big picture things that I haven't talked to any of you about uh, yet. So one day in the future I'll talk to you about them. Um, but um, all those big picture plans came and, and by this stage I'd attracted my soulmate into my life and that's a whole other story <laughs> which Mary can talk to you about at some point. Um, so by this stage we're starting to work through our emotions together, you know, working through and Mary's, Mary having memories of her life in the first century, her life in the spirit world. Exactly the same process I've been through, Mary's going through and started going through that two years ago. So now she's going through this process of remembering these traumatic events from our first century life, her life after I passed, my crucifixion, and then other ones of the 14 started doing it. Some of you have met Cornelius, right? The man who nailed me to the stake. Um, he started going through the same experiences. All of these things are happening independently of each other. So we eventually meet up and then eventually... So Mary was just blown away, went to Darlin, with the first set of memories that you had, which you didn't expect to have at all. And it was just meeting a few days after meeting with me, meeting with me straight into some memories. And so... It, Every one of the 14 is, has had to start going through these processes. Some of the 14 who have returned are in a different state where they're just total denial of any of these processes yet. And there's five or six of the 14 who have not denied all their emotions but are denying some. And then there's myself, Mary and Cornelius who are sort of working through our emotions in a more conscious way. And the others will come on board, I feel, the more, um, I know, the more we deal with our stuff. They'll, uh, they'll start feeling that attraction. Um, but in terms of who they are, there, there's six here in Australia, or five now here in Australia. There's two in Canada, there's two in South America, and there's two in South Africa. Um, and there's uh, two in the US of A who, came, who come from the Vietnamese culture, who are Vietnamese. Um, so altogether, the 14, there's 14. Um, and one of us passed, John, the Apostle John, passed during this five-year period that I was dealing with my emotions, and he was too. But he went into a shutdown place, and when one of the 14 go into a shutdown place, there's a pretty severe law of attraction, and he was murdered um, a month after he shut his emotions down. So, and he's with me now, um, it was a plan that we'd made that he'd go through these experiences, but at the time I didn't feel it was. And so it was, uh, it was difficult in one way losing his company because he was one of the few of the 14 at the time that were dealing with some of their emotions. Um, so what we end up with is this, this uh, half of the man that's in front of you, um, still working way his, through his stuff, trying to demonstrate to you how to become yourself. 
just by this process that I'm going through, becoming myself again. And and I understand completely why I've chosen to do all of these things. I remember the choices that I made. Um, and while it may be difficult for you to actually connect to emotionally and understand what's going on, I know that in time, if you follow the same path, uh, this divine path that's been presented to you, that you will actually not only come to understand yourself, but also come to understand the truths that I'm presenting to you. Now, John, John Dole, who's um, organized this venue for us today, has done a lot of emotional, like, kinesiology type testing on these truths that I'm presenting. But my feelings are that you don't need to do that. What you need to do is allow yourself to connect to the emotions of it and to see whether there's a ring of truth inside of you about it all and allow yourself to then act upon that emotions inside of yourself. If you do that, you will come to connect with God and if you connect with God, you will know the truth because God tells you the truth through that connection. So you won't need me. All I'm here to do is just to be the, an example that you can choose to follow and it's not that you follow me, but just the example of how to work through all of your emotions and how to work through all of the issues and all the different... Remember I started this discussion off with all the different boxes that, of different areas of things in our life that we'd have to work through in order to get to God. And my suggestion is, um, and maybe I just need to rephrase that, I wouldn't say to get to God. We probably should say in order to allow God to come to us because God is just there waiting for you to make these changes. So, so if you follow all of those things, you'll find that you'll progress. Now, now, some of you believe in reincarnation still. That's okay. You can believe in reincarnation still. Trust me, if you deal with all of your emotions, you will end up with the truth and the truth will be known by you whether you're reincarnated or not by the fact that you'll remember your first incarnation and if you, if you had a life in the spirit world like I have, you'll remember that life in the spirit world and you'll remember your second incarnation and every one of the 700 incarnations you feel you might have had, you will remember the entire life of that if you do with your emotions. And I, I put forward to you that that won't happen to you because the truth is that there's very few people who have ever reincarnated onto this planet. But you can go down that track and as long as you deal with your emotions, you will come to resolution about that particular thing inside of yourself. And you'll remember everything about your entire life. And so what's happening for me and what's this gradual process going on for Mary too now and Cornelius and others is this process of remembering our entire life. So of course I don't remember when I was born because when you're in your first incarnation, you don't remember that. But I do remember when I was born in my second incarnation because you can remember that when you reincarnate. I don't remember in the first incarnation the process of the soulmate separation. But in my second incarnation, because it's a reincarnation in a full, fully conscious zone, I remember everything about it. And it's the most terrible, terrible experience that I've ever had to remember that. And I still am going through lots of grief about that, about the separation from my girl, and all of the different traumatic emotions that I've had through my life now dealing with that emotion. And in the second incarnation, you remember your disconnection from God. In the first incarnation, I didn't remember that. But in the second incarnation, this is terrible trauma that I'm still working my way through and still having a struggle dealing with my fears about getting back that relationship that I once had. And so I'm working my way through that emotion as well. 
and there's this memories of all the different things that I've done and I'm so afraid of them um, because I just I just find it so hard to allow myself to remember them because to remember them and then present them to you it will just seem so strange and 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 like it's just so difficult to remember a lot of them because I have so much fear attached with them so the, the group of emotions I'm working through now is this terrible fear I have about presenting to you the truth about all these different things in the spirit world that you can experience. When I first experienced them, they were beautiful. You know, they were beautiful experiences. But what happened was that through the emotional filters of these terrible two memories, the memory of losing God and the memory of losing my soulmate, and all of these other experiences became traumatic and difficult and to remember. So I'm working my way through all of those different memories. So I've literally got thousands and thousands of subjects that I could talk to you about. Um, but, but I'm, you know, obviously it will depend on your readiness to receive them as to when we discuss them. But at the moment I'm still working through groups of difficult emotions about, about, and difficult fears that I have to work through. And Mary's going through exactly the same process. So we go through these cycles of feeling lots and lots of joy and happiness and peace and calm and so forth, and then whammo into another memory where we remember, we're transported back to our life in the first century where, you know, where I was maybe, you know, tortured and abused and so forth, which happened quite a number of times in my life, unfortunately, and, and even more for Mary in the first century life. And, and then, we work through that emotion and release that and we feel the same relief and the same peace and the same happiness that you feel when you release a causal emotion, the same lovely, peaceful, blissful feelings that come from God. And then, and then we go into another emotion and experience a lot of those things too. And so my suggestion is to allow yourself to experience all of your emotions about those things. You will not have as many emotions as what I've had to work your way through. So don't think that my, what I've done is something that you're going to have to do for the next 13 years, right? because it's not. Many of you have already begun emotional work, but causal stuff obviously is difficult to access, but my feelings are many of you will only have a few years of this process to deal with, just by working your way through different emotions. My experience and the experience of every one of the 14 is going to be very different to your experience. You won't have identity issues to sort your way through unless you believe you're other people from the first century or other centuries of your life and you start working through and you may find in the end that, oh, that was a spirit connected to me. So I've had to work my way through all of those emotions too. Maybe this is a spirit connected to me, a spirit who believes he's Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And I've worked my way through all groups of emotions about that. Of course, I don't have any connections with spirits in the, fact, in the sense that I don't hear them at all and I can't see them and, uh, and that won't occur until I'm at one with God. And I know why, but you don't have to trust the answer as to why. Um, but what I'm doing is, I want, what I came here to do is I came here to demonstrate to you how to get to be at one with God without having any gifts inside of yourself. No gift of mediumship, no gift of spirit communication, no special special abilities or anything like that. And that's why I came here, to, to show you how to become at one with God from that condition, without any help from any single person 
other than God. Not a single person has helped me through the last five years of experience. Most people have been derogatory and negative and like condescending and <laughs> all of those different things to me during that time. And, and many of you in the past have felt those same emotions. Yes, those of you who know me much better now have felt those same emotions at different times towards me, angry or upset or whatever. And I feel all of those emotions and I've had to work through the emotion, my emotional response to all of those things. And that's why I can stand here in front of you calmly and say who I am and not, maybe not that calmly a few minutes ago, but say who I am uh, without worrying about your judgment and your criticism and worrying about what ha will happen with my law of attraction and so forth. And my suggestion to you is when you do the same as that, you will have your connection with God. You'll have your connection with the divine truth. You don't need me. You don't need anyone else in that connection. And you will draw your soulmate into your life and you will start having the same blissful life that I've experienced for a period of my life, the 2,000-year period in between my first century life and here. And I've experienced that times of bliss. And what I'm suggesting is that is open to you as well, just by having a look at those teachings. And you'll find in the end, if you're a man who's a logical man, you'll find there's so much logic in it all, right? And you'll see it all fit together. And if you're a woman who's an emotional woman, you'll find there's so much emotion in it all that all seems to fit together. And if you're either or gender who can merge those two things together, you'll find there's so much truth in what you receive. And you'll start feeling it as God's truth, not as mine you won't feel it as mine, because I don't feel it as mine. I'm just so grateful that God has taught me this truth right from the time I can remember being alive on the planet. And it's so wonderful to learn it. And there's nothing in comparison to it. And so that's why I want to talk to you about it. Anyway, that was a long-winded answer <laughs> in my normal... Now, of course, there's a lot more I could say because it, condensing, condensing 46 years into a few moments is often very difficult. And, um, and sometimes there's a habit of getting things out of sequence as well. But uh, it must be getting pretty late by now. So many of you will probably want to be leaving, so that's fine if you want to leave now, that's fine. And I would, I would like to thank you so much for your attention over the last two days. And um, I'm sure if you'd like to, we can construct some more events down on this, on this coast. <laughs> um, just recently, we've been offered um, a venue up in the Sunshine Coast that is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And uh, from, from, from about a month's time, we'll, we'll have the opportunity, and it might only be for a short period of time because the venue might be sold or it might not, it just depends on how the desires go of the persons owning the venue. But what will happen is that for at least a short period of time this venue has been offered to us free of charge to present these truths. It's a 400, pretty close to a 400 seat auditorium, probably as large as this, um, maybe even a touch larger. Um, 
in, in some of the most beautiful, pristine surroundings you can imagine, in Butterham, in, uh, in the Sunshine Coast. And so our next venues, we'll be probably having one more meeting at the Udlo address just for the people who want to help us with cleaning up the, the new venue and making sure everything runs smoothly at the new venue because the venue will allow for more people to be present. It has uh, enough room to, to park around 100 cars and it's in this beautiful paradisaic environment and, uh, and we'll have the opportunity to use that at least for a little while. So that'll be our next, our next venue up in the coast the next time we're up there. Before then, we'll have a, we've got the Brisbane venue coming up in a month's time. And I forget exact the dates. Um, 18th and 19th? Yes, yeah, the weekend of that, that week or something, 18th. Anyway, I've got it on the net and it's there available for you. And in that time, I would like to ask those of you who are regularly attending, there are basically three or four departments that we're going to have to set up for this new venue. One is a cleaning department because we want to make sure, because it's been provided to us for free, we would like to, it's a, and it's an absolutely beautiful venue, we want to make sure it stays in the exact same pristine condition as what we've uh, received it in. And so we want to have a little team of people who can make sure that it's always left in the same pristine condition that, that we, uh, we have found it in. So we need a little cleaning team. We'll need a team of people who can um, maybe handle some of the um, laying out of the chairs and, uh, and also some of the arrangements of the car parking. And that, let's call that the attendant team, shall we? Or the service team. Who, and uh, so we need a little team. And what we need is some volunteers, basically, to handle these different teams. Um, Mary, you wanted to say? And so what we want to do in our next Brisbane talk is talk to some of those teams about what we would like to do. So that'll be shape some of the talk in Brisbane. And, uh, and then what we would like to do before the event happens is to take you, those people in those teams, to the location of the event and show them the premises and show them what needs to be done. Does that make sense? So, uh, but it will be voluntary. And, and by the way, if you don't want to do any of it, and if none of you do any of it, myself and Mary have decided we're going to do it. So, um, so I'm just inviting you to be a part of that process. So, um, but we're pretty keen. Uh, on the beautiful venue that's been offered to us by the Patellas and, and it's just so lovely that it's really worth... Sorry? No, the, the new venue that I'm talking about in the, is in the Sunshine Coast in Butterham. But we'll be doing a presentation in Brisbane just to for those people who want to be a part of actually cleaning up the hall and doing the attendant type stuff as well. <coughs> yeah. You wanted to say, babe? No, we can just inform Perhaps we can just inform people by email. Yes. When we won't need to. It won't need to form a part of the general presentation. Yeah. Because what we'll do is inform you by email what's going on. However, I'm having a lot of trouble with email at the moment because my particular provider has a has got a block on spam and a lot because now we've got seven or eight hundred people on the email list. It's now starting to treat some of our emails as spam. And so what's happening is some of your 
some of your stuff is not being received on the email list because particularly if you're a Hotmail account provide, um, Hotmail has blocked my provider. So um, what I'm going to suggest to you is that from now on what we're going to try to do is put all of the details about coming events and everything as soon as we know about them on the website. All right. So you will have to actually physically go to the website if you want to know what the arrangements are going to be. The website address, as a reminder, is just www.divinetruth.com and if you want to be on an email list that isn't working, office <laughs> at divinetruth.com. Um, and I'm going to try to work through why... <laughs> At the moment I'm having to break down the email list into hundreds at a time and then send it over a few days before the messages can get sent, which is a bit of a long-winded process. Um, but what we'll do is we'll let you know the details about coming events and we'll also let you know the details about coming events here. We're also going to be having some coming events shortly in Mackay and in New Zealand, which uh, we'll inform you about as well. So um, we'll just keep in contact with you if you've left us with contact details. But thank you so much for your attendance today and thank you so much too for your donations that you've given us. <laughs>